Hey guys, this is Anand Shippy from Anantech.com. We are finally back. Um, episode 21 of the Anantech podcast. I am joined by Brian Klug, senior smartphone editor and just general genius. <laughs> that's a pretty, that's a new introduction. Hey guys. <laughs> um, so we've done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, just there's a lot that's happened um, since we last spoke. We can't cover it all here. Um, slightly different format. I'm going to try and go to, to doing this as a two-person thing. Um, and, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened in the PC space. But this one's going to try to be a little more mobile-focused. And then, you know, I'll, I'll come back and do something to, to talk about Haswell on the desktop and, and what's been going on there. Um, it's been like a full month, I think, hasn't it? Well, it's been a while, right? Like, I was, I was in Taiwan. Then I spent a lot of time on the West Coast. And I just got back from the UK. And then you were... At Qualcomm, you did it went, IO. For me, it was like Google I/O, and then like I went on a cruise or whatever uh, for my brother, and then I came back and it was like Dub Dub, uh, WWDC. Yep. And then there was something else, and then like Qualcomm, and then you you've been doing all your stuff too. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the things that you went to. So I guess in chronological order, let, let's talk about Google I/O first. Yeah, that seems like a long time ago, but it also really close. Well, I mean, I guess. Google Glass? I don't think we've ever talked about Google, Google Glass. That was no, like no. slightly before slash at Google I.O., I guess. Yeah, so you, you have Google Glass. Um, yeah, and yeah, I finally got it. And, um, you know, everybody, <laughs> every uh, question I get asked is, you know, like, did you pay for it? And yes, everybody paid the $1,500 who has one. So um, most expensive pair of sunglasses I've ever owned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you still wear them and use them? You know, I got to be honest, I don't wear it every day. Like it's, I spent a lot of time thinking about glass and like I've written a bunch about it and then I, I kind of like hesitated to post it uh, just because I wanted to wait a little while and like see how it, you know, like I fit it into my life. Um, the difficulty with glass isn't so much uh, functionality or, you know, anything intrinsic to its nature. It's that you can't step five feet into a public place without getting accosted, you know, and like asked all sorts of questions. And I know that sounds like the stupidest thing ever to like have as a concern. But I mean, like the reality is that I think, you know, a lot of people kind of like operate under the radar slash, you know, want to get along with their day type thing. And it's impossible when you're wearing glass. And that's that's my biggest um problem with like using it day to day even in san francisco like uh, you know i couldn't walk anywhere without i mean it's just a huge like look at me thing that you're wearing on your face you know <laughs> yeah no no and i've seen that happen when i was actually at sfo um waiting to fly to taiwan um oh i didn't a- i didn't try wearing it in the airport that's brave yeah no there was a guy um uh so I was at the United Lounge because I had a 12-hour layover there where I wrote all of the Haswell articles. And uh, there was a guy there with Google Glass on, and he just got just accosted by like a huge crowd people. around him? Yeah, exactly. And and I immediately, you were in my head saying that, hey, this is the biggest downside to Google Glass. And I saw it unfold in front of me. But but admittedly, good that, and bad. that problem fixes itself if everyone has it, right? Well, and that's that's sort of the question that everybody will ask like the second question you get asked is um i guess the first question you get asked is you know is that google glass or are you recording me which is literally (laughs) the the thing that you immediately get asked yeah um and i've been like sort of writing down like what people's reactions are just because i think it's fascinating 
and it's unlike any other device I've ever used in public. It's almost like, you know, the the earliest days of the smartphone, you know, where it was like you were kind of, if somebody saw that you were on the internet, they were like, what is that? How does that work? Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Um, this is like that, except now you can't even be, like, subtle about it, you know. Um, yeah, but, it's just on your face. Yeah, it's just on your face. And, you know, I, I think it's great. I think that, but anyways, the question was, is it going to go mainstream? I think originally my thoughts were that maybe it would. Now I think it's it's maybe like 10, 20 years. It's a really long time before this ever goes um, mainstream. Even, you know, even it can be productized, like Google will productize it and commercialize it. Um, because the current version is really um, an EVT. It's not even a PVT. Literally, you paid $1,500 for an EVT, according to them, if you go in their code. So um, can you explain to, uh, what's, what's EVT, what's PVT? Engineering validation test. So it's like, it's an EVT3, um, as opposed to PVT, which is like production validation test. So it's, it's literally like an alpha product. It's a prototype. Um, true to its, true to like every, everything that Google has said about it, it literally is a prototype. Uh, and I mean, there's an OMAP, uh, you know, four inside. It runs OMAP 4430 at one, one gigahertz. There was some like initial confusion about what the actual platform was. Um, LCOS display inside. Initially, I thought it was a DLP. Um, there's an FPGA in there for the LCOS that does like gamma and D gamma. Wow, um, there's an FPGA in there. <laughs> yep, there's an ICE ICE 40 that does a uh, D gamma, basically for the LCOS. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of like cool things in there that are just you know, you know, they're neat. It's I don't know if it's necessary like the hardware hardware side of it is it literally is like they said um, sort of a gimped Wi-Fi Galaxy Nexus, right? I think the real magic is on the so- you know the software and what you can do with it, and um, I think the privacy concerns are overblown. You know, it's very obvious when you're taking pictures of people. It's very obvious when you're like taking videos. Um, I didn't see anybody at Google I/O taking pictures in the bathroom as opposed to what people said. Um, you know, like, and that was initially a, a question too, is like, what do you do with this? And now it's sort of like the etiquette that everybody's kind of established is you just sort of put it on your head, like you know, you're taking your sunglasses off. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about glass, but it's, it's hard to convey. Like, I know it's something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So you to know? me, I, I only used it briefly. Conceptually, it's interesting to me for the the scenario that I described to you when we met at WWDC, which is it would be awesome as a way of uh, recording and rebroadcasting kind of booth meetings at like a Computex or CES right. or something like that. But I, it's it in its current implementation doesn't work like that because I need like support for a better microphone. Um, exactly. Ultimately, I need better battery life. Um, so exactly. So, there are issues with it, but that's what's interesting to me. If you look at it, it what's, you know, and uh, I, I shot I shot that one hands-on video with glass, which is kind of cool. Um, the camera is really wide angle. It yeah, it does have these audio issues that they they could work out. Basically, they're they're always doing this beam forming, you know, to sort of cancel all the sounds around you, um, which is great, you know, if you're trying to l- listen for voice commands to do ASR. Uh, because the entire thing is driven by basically voice and uh, the side, which is a, a touchpad. Um, but it's it's kind of stupid to do that noise cancellation when you're recording a video. 
So I think it's just a matter of they need to turn it off or, you know, it's a, it's a standard Android thing, but I don't know why they haven't, or maybe it's, you know, beyond their control, at least right now. Yeah. But yeah, the audio is a, is a big deal. It gets, it definitely eats up a lot of battery to do videos. That's what, I mean, like people are like, are you recording me? And I'm like, no, if I was, it'd be dead already. <laughs> you know, like, don't flatter yourself. I'm not going to waste my battery. You know, li- like literally that's the honest response. So, <laughs> I mean, those things are going to get fixed, you know, when, when they move to an SOC that isn't, you know, a couple years old and, you know, lower power and better support for things like, um, like to me, it's hilarious that they, they can't do WebM, you know, like Google's big thing is we want WebM in code. Yeah. Well, it's like, congrats, you picked an SOC that doesn't do that, you know, like, <laughs> oops. Well, it's but, clear um, that it's like, what's the cheapest thing we can possibly get? Yeah, I don't know why you would do that in a $1,500 thing where it's like the battery is you know, like really tiny. You know, I, I sound like I'm negative about it, but like, um, I think I'm very, I'm very bullish about what it can do and what, what the, you know, the future of this thing is. Um, I just don't, it, like it isn't fleshed out yet. And it, I don't think it's ready for normal, normal people. Yeah, and, and I, I I'd think be that's... surprised if anybody was like wearing it day to day, like on a regular basis. Like I wouldn't wear it at home. Honestly, like I'm not doing cool things enough all the time to want to wear it. You like you can use it as a low res GoPro and ask it questions, and that's cool. Uh, like the killer app is more navigation oriented, like walking around or driving directions. And at which point, like people got angry at me on Twitter because I was posting pics of me driving. But the reality is that. For me, it's it's less distracting to look at that heads-up display uh, and see, like, just a visualization of the road and where to turn than it is to, like, glance down at my lap where I've got my phone doing navigation. Yeah. You know, or the, the you know, like, fiddle with the car head unit and, you know, like, hope that works. So, And, well, also, there, there are cars also that have their own heads-up displays. So this is... Yeah, heck yes. Right? So it's it's their... <laughs> I want one of those. <laughs> like that 7 like that seven series I drove at... Um, uh, GTC. Where was that? Yeah, GTC. That was awesome. Talk yeah, about fancy. So it, it's it's kind of like a uh, another one of those. And, and I, from, from using it and from looking at it from an outsider's perspective, I, I tend to agree with you, right? It's I would be negative about it if... I had to pay $1,500 and this were the product on the market today. Um, I think that right. wholly deserves a negative rating. I think if you, you can be very positive on the future of this. Um, and then there's this whole other interesting argument about, well, what happens when compute becomes cheap enough where you can just integrate like Cortex A9s in everything? And is your, are your right. glasses the right place to put compute at that point? Well, I think, I think it's, it's interesting as a companion device and I think I think HUDs are cool. Um, so is like a, the POV part of the camera, even though it isn't really like full POV. Yeah. Um, well, the I question is, I, like, do I think you it's, do? I think it's cool, but it's it's not. Yeah, I agree. I, to- I completely agree with you. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> okay, so that that's that's Google Glass. Um, but and don't if you're gonna get one, like don't get the crazy colors. I don't know how anybody like. I got I got the shale one, which is essentially brown, because I was thinking like you know I'm kind of brown. Um, <laughs> this will blend in, you know. Like the lady on the phone that I spoke with when I was choosing the color was like, yeah, I got tangerine, and I regret it. 
And uh, I was kind of surprised to hear her say that. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but um, I would say that that's very true. Like if you're wearing the tangerine or like the sky blue one, um, yeah, it's tangerine, sky, cotton, like those like three colors that are very bright. Like I have no idea how you function. Like, what do you mean? I'd, what's the, they're, they're just even more attention grabbing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not subtle at all. Like there's no possible way. Like you're just yelling, you know? Yeah at that point and that's that's my biggest concern like i need um i need like a card that just explains what it is and i i've i almost got to the point almost like sarcastically where i was going to tell people like it's an assistive device because (laughs) it's it's literally about like um i wrote this down about 50 percent of people think uh know exactly what it is they know glass by name or that it's a google product um about 30 percent have no idea what it is uh, the remaining 20% assume it's like a hearing aid or visual assistive device or like I'm handicapped. And that that's those are the stats that I've been collecting, just like very ballpark. Um, so it's interesting to me like already how much public visibility there is into glass. And almost all of it is positive. Although the first encounter I had with somebody was, are you recording me? And I do not give you permission to do so, <laughs> which is hilarious because in this state, you don't, you don't need two party permission. Yeah. You know, but I just don't, I don't want, like, you can just punch me in the face and like, it'll break. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he was serious about it too. I was like, there's, um, again, that's where I was like, don't flatter yourself. The battery would die. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what this ends up being, but it's, it's clearly not finished, but and they sent out a water bottle too, which is kind of random. Did you what? see that? They no, sent no, out, I yeah. No, like I have UPS My Choice. Like I'm sure you, you do too, probably. Yeah. I mean, because we live by packages. But um, there was a Google X device. I mean, like basically, so I saw the UPS My Choice thing pop up, and I was like, oh, what, what's this? And the sender was Google X. Of course, Google Glasses from Google X. Yeah. Um, so I almost expected, like, are they going to send another, you know, another unit or like a newer version that isn't an EVT that's maybe a PVT to all these people? And I didn't really comment about it. Everybody else got sort of like detected that too. And um, basically, sorry, I was scrolling through my, my Dropbox there to try and find the picture of this water bottle. Basically, ended up being a, a water bottle that says like glass on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I just needed to tell somebody that story because, like, it was just very, very surreal. But that's kind of a letdown. I would expect, like, a better gift, <laughs> right? Like, it's a cool water bottle. I mean, it says glass, but, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. You know what's really cool are the sunglasses clip-ons. That's, I forgot to mention that. If you wear the sunglass clip-on thing, you get fewer questions because it just looks like a weird sunglass thing from far away. If you don't wear anything, like, you don't even wear the clear ones then it's it's very obvious that this is not normal yeah well so, so and, and that's the big like i i wear prescription glasses which i don't have a problem with um but it doesn't support like i would just be blind if i were using it um so i, I need proper support for prescription lenses and then the other thing is i can't um i can't risk putting prescription lenses in it you know when they do eventually support that and then having my prescription glasses effectively banned in certain locations. Yeah, you're mentioning that. I hadn't even thought about that that aspect of it. Right, because like I don't want to. I, I don't. Really, it needs have... to be a clip-on. Like that's the end of the yeah. end story. Is that um, it needs to be a clip-on. No, but even if it's a clip-on, like it's 
You're saying the prescription lenses are a clip-on to the Google Glass? No, I'm the saying glass... Google Glass is a clip-on. Yes. Okay, I agree with that. Because um, that's I ultimately, what, that's I what don't it wanna... needs to be. Yeah, because I, I don't want to carry like multiple pairs of prescription glasses. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's not. That's not. You know, what's weird too is that like I'm an optical engineer, but I I haven't quite been able to figure out why some people can see it and some can't. Like I haven't been asking everybody or like you know playing with their their glasses to see if it's positive or negative prescription. But um, it's interesting that some people that wear glasses are able to see it and other people can't. Like the accommodation is a little bit wonky there, which is an easily fixable problem. You know, if you just have some accommodation adjustment on the device. Yeah. But um, and it's unfortunate because the people like you're saying that wear glasses are probably more likely to wear glass. Yeah, because I already have something on my face. If you. Yeah. For me, it's like I don't want to wear my like something on my face. I'm like, this is entirely new sensation. Yeah. And like I lose peripheral vision and like I enjoy not having to wear glasses, I think. (laughs) So, you know, the benefit needs to be huge for me to want to wear it. Yes. And um, to be honest, like there's one part of it that kind of hurts my head after a while. Yeah. And uh, those are things that, you know, just need to be fixed. Yeah, no, so, no I, I agree with you completely. Like, I think for people who already have prescription glasses, like we've already we're already comfortable with this thing on our face. Allow me to increase its functionality, right? Let me clip something else onto it that adds this functionality, and and I think then we're we're golden. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> oh, also, if you wear it with Pebble, literally, it's like it's too many wearables. You can only have one. <laughs> there's there's going to be a law of one, only one wearable. Because, like, if you have two, if they're, like, I get an SMS and literally, like, everything blows up. Like, my head, I see, like, an alert. Like, I hear the noise in my ear. My watch vibrates. My pocket vibrates. Like, everything on the desk lights up. So, (laughs) it just makes me really angry sometimes. Like, I just get angry at people on SMS and they're, like, we're just trying to talk to you, you know? (laughs) But, so, you can't, yeah, you don't, just definitely don't do that. (laughs) I wonder if it's early enough in this whole evolution for us to define this as Klug's Law. Right, that I don't that know. <laughs> one wearable is the the upper bound, and and anything more is just overload. It it'll lead to anger. Well, I also want to coin the UPS law, and that's that uh, they give you a delivery time, and the fifteen minutes that you step out of your house will inevitably be the fifteen minutes window that they come to deliver your or attempt to deliver a package. What is this about? They give you a delivery time. I never get yeah, a delivery time. On UPS, time. my choice. They give you like a range of time. You know, oh, they're like, yeah, oh, between get... like this time and this time. Yeah, I, I usually, yeah, that's a complete, I, I, I figure they're just making that up. Like it's a rand open close parentheses. <laughs> like that's just what that is. For me, it usually ends up being close. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'll just be at, you know, I'll make sure I'm like at home and ready for it between those hours. But then sometimes when I'm like, it's, it's unlikely that it's going to come in this side. Then I'll like leave for like literally 15 minutes to like go across the street and get a bagel or something. And then end up. Without fail, during that window is when they try to deliver. Yeah, so I also get the, um, they'll, like, do one knock and run away. Oh, yeah, right. right? So, like, I don't have, like, they've already prepared the, the label that, hey, we missed you. And it's just, like, a knock, <laughs> stick the label, and then run away. And, like, I'm running to try and intercept and prevent this from being a thing. But You need, like, a two-way, like, microphone speaker setup thing, two-way... <laughs> conference yeah, like a, thing like an intercom just exactly. to specifically avoid this just for ups like press this if i'm home like you'll hear yelling yeah 
Okay, so Google Glass is one thing. Um, you went Google to I.O. What, yeah. what did you think of that? So I.O. was interesting because, like, um, from my perspective, it seemed like they were ready to announce the next version of Android, but that didn't really happen. And so, um, for whatever reason, like, I feel like it was pulled at the last minute. And that's just entirely my speculation. I'm not alluding to something that I know or don't know. But I think it's fairly obvious to, like, put the things together and say that's what happened. For better or worse, you know, like, it's their prerogative to release it when they feel like it. Um, but, like, Google I.O. is more about, like, decoupling as much as possible or, you know, more things um, from the point release of Android and, you know, like, successive updates. So things like Google Play Services, which already existed, you know, sort of got attention there. Um, got the impression a lot of people didn't know that existed before, but it, it became a, a big subject because, uh, you know, Google can sort of transparently update a lot of their APIs through this, this um, you know, Google Play Services framework. Um, so that was a big thing. And then, you know, like later on, they put the, the Google keyboard on the market on the Play Store. And there just really was a lot of discussion about like how that's an overriding theme. And I think you can even see that you know, the fruits of that strategy on the hardware side with these Google Play Edition devices, which we'll talk about later. But um, they also alluded to the things that are coming in the next version, you know, like they're going to re, you know, work, bring some improvements to the 2D rendering pipeline, um, Bluetooth for smart ready, I guess we're calling it uh, this week since it's not low energy anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's like smart, smart ready and like some bluetooth smart i don't understand i think it's because like low energy is somewhat of a misnomer yes uh and they're trying to rebrand to like set expectations correctly now like it's it's low energy in the sense that like it's for low energy devices it's not lower energy and like there's magical power gains to be had here which is yeah. what all the comments i read everywhere expect they're like oh don't worry like pebble's gonna get suddenly like three weeks of battery because of bluetooth 4 like no that's not how it works but whatever so anyways that's why we need this name that just doesn't make sense but anyways that's coming in the next version of android officially since it isn't there now and htc and samsung had to make their own proprietary apis which aren't going to work anymore so um yeah that's fun uh what else happened there i don't really know i i guess there like there is the white nexus 4 which looks cool yeah um, um so the, the other thing is i um is OpenGL ES3 support coming? Is, is that? They didn't say explicitly, but I would hope so. Okay. I would really, like, I would I would take that as a given. Okay. Everybody, like, thinks, uh, I think I wrote about that, that it, it seems like it's coming, but they didn't officially mention anything about it. Okay. So the other big thing there was obviously the announcement of, now they only announced the Samsung Google Play Edition device, right? Right. Correct. It, uh, but then the, the HTC... Excuse me, the HTC one uh, came shortly thereafter. Yeah, and you have both of them. Yep, and my understanding is that both of those started at the same, around the same time. So I don't know why the announcements were that way, or I wouldn't read into that too much. It wasn't like a, a reactive thing. But uh, yeah, no, I have both. And it's it, and uh, we published our review. That was uh, under 24-hour turnaround. But I mean, again, it's easy because it's primarily just software. You know, I mean, how many... How many different ways can you say it's the same phone just running different software? Yeah, you know, like so. So looking at somebody the, else was joking, like I don't know how to say this, but you know, it's the GS4 slash M7, you know, with stock Android. So yeah. 
well, you so know, now, it's there. <laughs> given that you have all four, right? You have uh, the HTC One with and without Sense. You have the Galaxy S4 with and without TouchWiz. How would you rank them? One to yeah, four. That's and, order and, of preference? Yeah, exactly. Um, boy, that's hard. That's going to put... You're putting me on the spot. So, um, <laughs> Well, so you don't have to rank would, them right away, I right? Would put, you... I would put the HTC One with Sense over the HTC One with Stock. Okay. And I would put the Galaxy S4 with Stock over the Galaxy S4 with TouchWiz. But I'm colored and I'm openly biased by the fact that I both hate TouchWiz um, <laughs> and I'm used to Sense 5 from having used the one so long. Interesting. So I'm not saying that maybe the one is better than the other. I believe that they're different. I think if you're an enthusiast, you should get the stock one because number one, you've probably been asking for it forever and it's time to like back that up with a purchase. Um, and number two, uh, like if you, if you want stock and want to send that message, then you need to, you need to buy it. I guess that's the same as number one. But uh, and and uh, number three, if you're if you don't know what AOSP means, you probably don't want stock. Like, the reality just is that there are things in stock Android that um, you know, just need help. Like the, you know, there's just a lot of like friction points for me. Like it, I can't, you know, like I wrote about, I can't shake the feeling that there's something missing. Yeah. And it is honest to God the truth. Like, you can add all this stuff back. But you need to go and install things from the Play Store for like a half hour yeah. to do it. So, well, I think that's you know I'm a, a reviewer and I don't want to install everything from the Play Store for a half hour. Like I want the phone to work. But I understand that a lot of people they're like this is the one purchase they make, right? So both of those are kind of in opposition, and um, it's interesting to see the stock implementation and 1080p. It's interesting to see. Um, you know, like how these devices feel with that on there. And yeah, my thoughts are still like, this is my opportunity to use the Galaxy S4, basically. Like I, I enjoy um, I enjoy it with stock a lot more than I did before. Now, yeah. you enjoy it with, um, you enjoy it with stock more. So if you had to choose- Stock Android. Which, yeah. <laughs> you, if you I had know, to, I wrote this and I was like, wait, stock is now ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. So- <laughs> If you had to choose then between one with Sense versus Galaxy S4 with stock Android, that's hard. I, you know, I, I like I, I like the Galaxy S4 with stock Android quite a lot. Yeah, I will admit that I do enjoy swapping batteries. Um, <laughs> oh God! Because Don't I, I know that, that I'm, can we edit I'm that no, out? You're going to get a lot of. Tr- <laughs> I'm going to get so many emails. No, but there's a story to that. Like, because I, you know, I bought the Korean Galaxy S4, which I guess we should talk about too. But um. That one, because, you know, like, it's Korean market, comes with both a second battery and an external charger, uh, which is awesome. So, like, I have the charger plugged in, and just, like, there's a battery in there. So, you know, like, if you get home and you're going to go out again or, like, do something like that, you know, swap the ba- swap the battery and you're done. Like, that is cool. I'll admit that. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of cool using it. Is it something that, like, I need every day? No, it's, uh, you know, and the SD card, by the way, is totally worthless on these stock devices. Like, you can't, you can't change the camera app to store photos there. Um, you know, you can't move any of the apps to the SD card in Android 4 stock. You know, like Samsung addressed that with their own proprietary solution. Um, basically, it's just totally balkanized. Like, it's, it's obvious that everybody, like, the world has moved on. But you can still um, use it for media storage. Yeah, but I mean... I mean, yeah, exactly. That's all you can use it for, really. Um, 
any i don't know what i would choose like one over the other like i think another thing to consider is that the galaxy s4 costs 649 for 16 gigs of storage that you can actually use and the the one costs 599 and it's 32 gigs of storage yeah so for me it's like okay better build quality better storage like at the end of the day it's 32 versus 16 because you can't use more for storing android apps or doing anything yeah other than just using it to like put movies and stuff so like obviously the cheaper one wins just from a value point of view um and so it's that simple i get the impression that the ideal and and one i would say that this is we got to give HTC and Samsung credit here, right? For years of getting beaten up over, hey, just ship stock Android, just ship stock Android. They finally do, and it is a totally valid complaint to say, yeah, we kind of actually want some of the things that you guys have been developing for the past few years in stock Android. Um, that's Yeah, that's right. It's the real boon for them to, to have that recognition. You so know. I, I think the, the question is, I, I don't think what you're saying... Um, is that Sense 5 gets it perfect or Stock Android no. gets it perfect. But there, there's some ultimate like optimal point in between the two that I don't know whose job it is to realize, but someone needs to realize that and they haven't yet. So my question to you was, what, what is that? If you could meld these two things together, right? Back off of Sense right. and TouchWiz and, and you know, move forward from Stock Android, what's missing? Camera no, app I, is, I said, is there. I said in the review, yeah, the camera app, which we'll touch on, um, I believe the stock widgets are atrocious. You know, like there's some little things like um, the icon spacing, you know, like the visual appearance in a couple places, you know, um, what else? The dialer isn't smart. You know, those are things. Obviously, everybody can like the stock email client. If you use Exchange is really painful. And that's a big friction point that basically gets a lot of attention. Um, I think people don't appreciate the realities of the operator's requirements for things like easy onboarding and like that whole process um like the out of box and setup stuff that's really kind of like lacking slash you know there's no easy tutorial on android that sort of explains things for you you know in the way that these other these others have you know like or even the easy mode or kid mode and all these other things so it's hard to like nail down one big overriding thing because it's really just a lot of small things so whose and job do you think it is to, to fix this? I believe it's Google's job. Yeah, ultimately do you think it's, it's Google's Do you think platform. it's likely that they'll do it, though? No, I mean, that's a rhetorical question almost. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think they've made it better, but they're, they don't have to and they don't want to. And the reality is always that there's going to be this, this need to, to do things to make it, you know, really a marketable device from, a, you know, like, an operator standpoint. And that's just the reality, and it's not going away or changing anytime soon. And if you want to make an end run around it, here are the devices you need to buy, you know? And don't complain about the price. Like, everybody that was booing during Google I.O. expecting Samsung to just give away a Galaxy S4, I mean, that just blew my mind. I think I turned to somebody and was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> because literally, like, those, like, anybody who's in that room should be smarter than that. And And... <laughs> You know, I'm dead serious. Like I even, I think I even wrote that in a review. Like, I don't know what what the expectation where was, but it's it's like you get a Nexus Four, you know, basically at cost. It's not subsidized. It's basically at cost uh, for LG, not for Google or you know, like whatever. But um, 
that's just not going to happen with the flagship stuff like mid cycle. Yeah. So, you know, and again, it's it's not like it's a one off of of a, of their own design. Like the Optimus G basically was the phone that subsidized the Nexus Four. So, you know, I I don't know. It's it's I don't know. It's Google's solution. Like it's Google's problem to solve. They need a solution, but maybe they don't. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is it? It's gonna. Well, they, it's gonna be built, this way either way. They'll be. They've. They've built this environment that allows them to get away with not having a solution, um, which I think this is the first time where uh, we have an example of. Hey, it's actually. I believe it or not, I can't even believe that I'm saying this. It's actually a good thing that HTC and and Samsung and all these guys have been working on their own software for the past few years here. Um, no, it's true, and it's always been that way. Like, you know, I believe the original versions of Sense really helped android not look horrible yeah that's you true. know a long time ago and and then there's the camera app which like i just have been waiting to rant more about and um <laughs> so you know like th- the other thing to talk about is like obviously google io there was this next version of android 4.3 it's pretty obvious by now like samsung has a leaked rom of this that you can go and flash on your galaxy s4 google play edition if you have one but even though you don't because like i guess only reviewers have them like it's not shipping yeah, yeah you can the, pre-order, but the shipments don't. It's like Nvidia Shield, right? Like, it's, it's not. Ooh, I don't know if we. That's not on the list either, man. There's a lot of stuff that I'm just like forgot for, not like forgot about. Oh, we gotta yeah. talk about the brand phone too. I want my own brand. So, um, but anyways, like, there's all this stuff that basically is clearly for the next version of Android that's been backported into these devices, because why would you want like do it twice, you know? And like, there's probably going to be an OTA between now and when they start shipping is my feeling so you know like the camera app basically is the camera app for from 4.3 which everybody talked about you know leading up to google io as being this thing that was going to get way better like i remember hearing oh just wait like it's going to be way better and obviously for me i'm like all the credibility there has been erased for a while now yeah you know like my expectations were very low and um yeah so it's it's the same it's the same same set of problems with a different ui uh that has been tweaked slightly so basically like you have this menu that you sort of like move up and down in hierarchy in a you know with through a hierarchy basically um with your finger like you press hold and then like drag up and down through settings like you drag up if you want to go to the flash you drag it to the flash and then keep going like radially and then you can like swipe left and right to you know, like turn the flash off or on, you know, auto, all this stuff. So the whole like the UI is, is there. The settings are the not, same. That's not what needed fixing. Yeah, right? it's not what needed fixing at all. Like it's it's the usual. Like we're solving a problem nobody had. It's like the Chromebook, you know, like <laughs> the, nobody had this problem. It's a solution to nobody's problem. Is what no, I, now, I told to, somebody. To the Chromebook's credit, though, <laughs> it is. I want to yeah. hear Jason like talk about why he loves the Chromebook. I, no, Jason, I totally I, get it. I, I uh, absolutely get it. Um, well, so here's the thing. You, you can't discuss the Chromebook um, without talking about the Samsung A15 Chromebook that is the number oh, one that's seller cool. on Amazon, right? No, like that in thing North is America. cool. Um, sure, but it's like, it's cool because it's Exynos 5250, which always should have been in a notebook. Yes. And it's cool because <laughs> it's cheap. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the rest of it is I'm like, why would you ever buy like a notebook that only has the internet you know like i need ss i like i liked it before you know i had the cr48 i tried using it i think you have one too somewhere yep. it's like it's kind of cool but you know 
It solves a problem nobody has, just like the camera UI. <laughs> they, like, no, and so here's my problem with the camera UI, and I'll, I'll spell it out again in case you haven't heard it. But basically, um, if, you're looking, if you're looking through the viewfinder at the preview, they crop the preview or fit it uh, to be full screen. So obviously, these devices are 1080p, which means 16:9 aspect ratio. Now, most, most CMOS sensors for a camera are 4:3, like they're square because the like lenses form images that are circles. So, you know, obviously the most optimal way to get a lot of area out of a out of a circle is something that's more like a square. Obviously, 4:3 isn't perfectly square, but you you get my point. So, anyways, Google and their infinite wisdom decided we want to make the UI look pretty and not have these black bars. So, how do we do that? We'll just fit it to be the whole size of, you know, like the viewport. What this means is then I get a preview that is not only inaccurate, but also stretched sometimes. Like in the case of the Galaxy S4, you can see it's clearly interpolated. So when it's interpolated, I can't tell when I've hit focus or missed focus. So that's useless. And when I'm not getting the actual preview, like I, uh, the whole preview is useless to me. Like I know vaguely what's in the center region in this like 169 little view hole, but I don't know what's above it. And if you're talking about 16.9 and 4.3, that's a big chunk, top and bottom, that's totally missing. So like composition ostensibly matters when you're taking photos. You know, like I shouldn't have to say this, but like... No, that's like, that is the thing that matters when you're... Like photography is about um, uh, choosing... Yeah, it's about choosing the the shot and composing it properly. And then, you know, there's all the technical aspects of, you know, making sure you have everything set right and you have the right equipment for the job and stuff like that. But composition is so key. That's why I'm like a bad photographer, because I I can't uh, artistically compose a very cool looking shot. Um, yeah, there's like technical quality and then there's composition and like the artsy side. And in the process of like making this look cool for screenshots, and I don't know why, um, they broke both as far as I'm concerned. Because again, I miss focus when you scale it up. Like I would rather have a pixel perfect one to one thing, you know, and if you can't sample the sensor at 1080, at, you know, 1080p at least, you know, this, this preview mode at 30 FPS so that I get you know, per pixel resolution, you're probably doing something wrong somewhere, you know, in, in like a bad sort of way. <laughs> and, and then again, like, again, I just like you lose all your credibility as, and you know, what blows my mind is that a lot of Googlers are, um, stint, like camera buffs. Right. And then there was this rumor about how like Android sort of started for cameras. And like, I, I really have a hard time swallowing that given just like these egregious things that you would never like nobody in their right mind would ever do, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I understand. And like the, I remember the first time you went on this rant, um, it was a while ago. <laughs> I remember thinking, Hey, these are all valid complaints, but it didn't really sink in as to how stupid it is that this has to be even talked about, but it I, blows I think, my mind. Yeah. Now I'm at the point, I think where you were a few months ago where I'm like, Hey, this is actually really ridiculous. Um, because if Dude, the and whole... this is the improved version too, so it's like even more ridiculous. Well, because if the whole point is like you can't out of 
one side of your face say, hey, you know what? The smartphone is eating into point-and-shoot camera sales, and rightfully so, right? We deserve those sales. We deserve that portion of the market. And then out of the other side of your face say, yeah, and we're just kind of screwing up the experience. Like, we're, <laughs> the, like I'm yeah, not okay with Apple that. even Apple did that. Even Apple did that. Like, you know, what, what the heck is going on, guys? <laughs> You know, like, I don't understand. When did this become okay? Like, did everybody just completely lose sight of, like, the fact that it's a camera? Like, I don't know. Maybe, like, there's this, the, the hipster thing where it's like, you know, I'm just going to take a picture. Like, maybe it comes out okay. Which is, by the way, the really cool thing about glass. I get, Like, glass kind of changes the way you take pictures because you get that experience just like film where you took the picture. You don't really know what it, it's going to come out like. You sort of have a guess at the composition because when you take yeah. the picture... It just it just happens. You don't you don't get to frame it. You don't get a preview. It's just like boom. You know, like hope hope you got something, um, and that's kind of cool in that context because you know like you come back to the computer and it it hopefully is uploaded to Google Plus, you know, uh, in your private photo album thing uh, that basically works like Dropbox camera uploads, and then you get to go through them. Like I enjoy doing that, but like stop doing that on the camera where I have this big screen, you know. <laughs> I just um, don't get it. So, so actually, that brings up an interesting point to me. Um, does Google Glass make you like or want to use Google Plus anymore? It's the killer app for Google Plus, basically. Yeah. Okay. Like completely the killer app for Google Plus, and it, and it's sort of like it's foisted upon you way. But again, I just use I just tweet from it, you know. Yeah. So you can make your end run around that play pretty successfully without a lot of effort. Like there's an app, there's Glassware now for it which is their word for apps on glass so yeah i mean but there are cool things you can do on google plus basically through glass um like the sharing is better hangouts which really kill the battery and are a little bit broken but like i did a couple of them they're kind of cool i wish i could do like a public one like that would be awesome at an event to like walk around and kind of like show people yeah Um, which it would just inevitably turn into like massive complaining about the state of the cellular network at the event or wi-fi at the event (laughs) Oh, and yeah, because it's Bluetooth, and it's it's totally unreliable because of Bluetooth tethering. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's something, like, I don't know what, what happened, but, like, the Galaxy S4 Google Play Edition doesn't have Bluetooth tethering. It's getting fixed, apparently. But so that, that means I can't use Glass with it. And um, S4 that, Active also doesn't have Bluetooth tethering for some strange reason. So do you think that's at all related to the whole, um, you know, next version of Android changes to the Bluetooth stack? Well, they already changed the Bluetooth stack, uh, basically in in uh, in preparation for this, you know, change over to 4.0, smart ready, low energy, whatever, like uh, you know, we're calling it this second again. Yeah. Um, so that's that's already been done. I just think this was just like an implementational oversight, and I don't understand how that's even possible because, <laughs> like, literally Google Glass can only get online outside of a Wi-Fi area through Bluetooth tethering. You know, like its functionality is zero without without Bluetooth tethering, you know, unless you just want to use it as a low res GoPro. So, um, yeah, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> so there are two things that you mentioned there that I, I want to do the schedule a little bit out of order here. So you referenced. Um, well, OK, we're talking about cameras and Android we have to talk about Samsung's Galaxy NX, um, I guess. So this is something you're very excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited about it. What, why are you so excited about Galaxy NX? Um, it's it's hopefully going to be a lot better than a Galaxy camera at, at shooting photos. 
yeah. and uh, <laughs> and still run Android. So Galaxy and, NX, for those of you who don't know, is is um, it's based off of Samsung's NX uh, mirrorless interchangeable lens camera platform, but it like Galaxy camera, it runs Android. Um, right. I, I really like. I want to see photos from it, but um, I'm excited about it just because you know I. I I've, I like that Samsung is playing around and seeing what works in this space. Um, I, I do enjoy the fact that we have connected cameras now that might be credible enough to like stand on their own against other you know interchangeable lens cameras because it's basically you know the NX system but running Android. Yes. So um, that's well, a so pretty pretty well known Samsung camera platform. Your main appeal to this is that it will take better photos than Galaxy Camera, and thus would be more right. useful to you in your day-to-day. Yes, I want the same functionality with like auto Dropbox upload. You know, like I can tweet from it. You know, you can do things with the photos. It has GPS tags. You know, it has the right time and date automatically. Um, but are you expecting equivalent camera performance to your Nikon DSLR? No, no, not not equivalent. But I mean, it's going to be better than a point and shoot, basically. But I guess that that's the thing I'm having difficulty resolving, right? Which is, at what point? So you have this curve, right, between what you have in a smartphone, then you have Galaxy camera, then you have Galaxy right. NX. Uh, maybe there are some more points along the curve, and then at one end of the curve, you have, you know, full frame DSLR. Then you have, you know, uh, like the non full frame interchangeable Nikon stuff. Um, or Canon, you know, whatever the form factor is. Right. Where, where is, and there seems like there are a lot of, you know, there are trade-offs at every point along the curve, but what's the optimal point on that curve? Uh, like, I would, I would buy a Nikon DSLR that runs Android. Okay. So you do know. you think that's the optimal, like... I don't uh, think those are orthogonal. Those are, I mean, I do think those are orth- orthogonal things. Like, um, I'm willing to... You know, like, I just want something that runs Android. It's kind of, like, just extra that it, it shoots photos that don't suck now. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking I, like, about I would make the trade-off a... somewhere, somewhere around Galaxy NX. Like, the problem with the Galaxy camera that I never really addressed was that, you know, especially indoor performance really just suffered. Like, it's essentially uh, a smartphone platform that does zoom. Like, the optics, the, the class that it's in is um it's really just like a smartphone sensor and system but with a zoom lens on it so you know and it's not a fast f F number at all you know like the the original galaxy camera was like f 2.8 uh wide open you know so and actually the s4 zoom which is like the camera the galaxy camera but you know pushed further towards being a phone um is uh is even worse so it's like um it's even slower. It's got a slower aperture and uh, basically the same sensor. So I would I would trade off further on the other side. Like just give me a full blown camera like the NX. Like okay. it's interesting to me that they now have three basically. They have Galaxy Camera, the S4 Zoom, and the NX. And like I think they're trying to feel out exactly what you're asking is which is the best. Oh no, absolutely. Like I think I think they're trying to figure this out. But I also feel like you probably have the right answer kind of in your head already. Which is why I'm asking you the question. Yeah, see, I don't think I think if you if you try to do something like S4 Zoom, you fail at both. Is yes, what, is I what agree I'm saying. With that. Because it's a thick device, um, it's gonna suck as a phone because it's huge. It's not competitively spec'd out. Like it's worse in every way. 
um, you know, QHD. It's got this weird. It's it's dual core. I don't I don't know if it's 42 um, 4210 like I suspected. They have this. They call it like Pega Dual. I don't know what that means. An XMM 6262 modem. Uh, so that means it's it's probably not going to make it here in the states with LTE, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's like it doesn't. It kind of like if you try to do everything, you're going to fail at both. And that's essentially what this is. Like to me, it just failed at both, which is disappointing. But it is what it is. Whereas um, Galaxy NX is like, well, you know, we're just going to be a normal camera, and I mean, like it's essentially it's an NX camera, and we're just going to run Android and you know have at it. So I like I like that idea. This is sort of like the my analogy uh, is that if you're going to buy a notebook, don't buy a desktop replacement because it's like you get the worst of both worlds. You get something that isn't portable, right? It's on the worst side of the spectrum in terms of portability. And it's on the worst side of the spectrum in terms of upgradability. So it's like if you try to do everything at once, you're going to fail at everything. Push both sides out to the limit. Like buy a desktop and then, you know, a MacBook Air or like the lightest, you know, Ultrabook you can. And that's what I would say I would do with the camera too. Like have your DSLR, have your big beefy camera, and then a phone, you know. So... Yeah, I, I believe it's it's both extremes. At least for me, that's sort of my philosophy with these things, and especially because like just the S four zoom is gonna suck. Like I have I have no doubt, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> but so doesn't this kind of violate your your what you just said then, or or are you saying that you should have a phone and then you should have a DSLR that also runs Android, which is what the Galaxy NX is? Yeah. Right. Well then, wouldn't so let's take it one step further. Wouldn't you effectively want something that's maybe even a higher end DSLR with with Android? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I would buy a D3S with Android running on it. Like, it blows my mind. It's a several thousand dollar camera that doesn't have a GPS built in. Yes. You know, maybe I like it's just. Yeah, I don't understand. You know, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, that just like I don't understand how that's possible. That they want well, me to buy like the two hundred dollar GP1 GPS thing that hangs off the side and looks fugly, and like and also takes up like your hot shoe, I think, or it's just like yeah, it just hangs off the side. So, yeah, I would absolutely go for something that's really, really high-end and also does this. Like, I think it, the platform and the camera should are orthogonal things, you know. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but to me, I'm just like, it's... I want, I want the best camera anyways, Yeah. right? It running Android is just an extra, you know. And, yeah. but, it, but at the same time, like, you can objectively say that S4 Zoom makes no sense because it fails as both a camera and a phone, you know, like it does nothing well. You yeah, know, it's not it's not small and sexy and portable. Number one, number two, it's not even a high end phone, right? It's like dual core, four point three inch, you know, super AMOLED QHD, with like so it's worse on it's worse in the platform than Galaxy camera. Yeah, and the number three, it's worse optically than Galaxy camera, right? Slash, it's just an objective regression. So. You know, I like my hands are up right now. Like it's just like it's you know I don't understand. Like I, I respect that we're gonna try and see what happens. You know, like come what may. But um, you know, I can just tell you right now it makes no sense. No, so, I mean you see that a lot in in all markets though, right? Where there's clearly the compromise option that, and there are always in any market there are always a, a segment of the population that need that compromise because they have other factors that prevent them from going for the extremes but the ideal solution is always buy one at both extremes it's just that right, that's yeah. not always feasible um so we right. talked about s4 zoom a bit 
there's another S4. Like, the S4 family just grew tremendously. Um, but you got the Galaxy S4 active fairly recently, right? Yeah, like yesterday. I think, and I think Samsung said at that event that they were done flushing out S4 or something. Didn't they say that? Yes. They, they, did they like, it. They, did they wave a flag, like a finish line, and they were like, <laughs> okay, we're done. Like, you can all go home now? Yeah, they, they, they implied that this was, you know, they're, they've expanded the Galaxy <laughs> S4 line, and this is what it is. And, and it's this not is it. Fr- yeah. Go home. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, S4 Active is awesome. Like, I think it was, it's better visually styled than uh, normal S4. Like, it looks better. The construction is a little bit beefier. You know, it's got, like, these metal screws. Like, the top and bottom feels kind of rubberized. Uh, it's, not, it's not ruggedized. It's just, you know, a, a less... Less delicate. That's what I've been saying. Yes. So, you know, like I sort of said, and I think in the thing that it was ruggedized, it's not. Like, it's just less prone to breaking if you look at it wrong. And um, <laughs> it feels that way, too. And um, I don't know. Like, when I when I got it, I immediately put my SIM card inside because I'm like, this is what this is better looking than the S4. Um, it's cool. It's it's this like there's no compromises. Um as far as I'm concerned, like I don't mind the eight megapixels over thirteen. Um, I actually like LCD instead of AMOLED, mm-hmm. and it's the same battery, so I can use my little thing with the like the charger. It's got SD card slot, you know, which is marginally useful again, and um, it's it's water resistant. You know, it's IP67, which is like you can throw it in the pool. Uh, it can go down to one meter for thirty minutes, and it's totally dust sealed. But you gotta you gotta snap the back on really really tight like you got to carefully snap it on and i've already thrown it and like i threw it in my beverage at dinner and this lady <laughs> this lady behind my friend was like did that dude just like dump his phone in the in, a, in his cup like what and i just was i was like i like pantomime being like angry about something i just like threw it in the in the glass you know so i mean it's a cool party trick like people on twitter were saying it's a party trick i think it is um i went to total wine and like just dumped it in the like i threw it in the beverage cooler you know, like they have that beverage cooler there where like, you know, you can chill your drink or whatever in five minutes. Like I just walked in and like, it's kind of unfortunate. God, I'm going to sound like an alcoholic, but like they know me. And I was like, hey, check this out. And I just threw the phone with it on in this beverage cooler. Like I just tossed it in there. And everybody was like, holy, you know, like, holy moly, I can't believe this dude did that. But I mean, it works fine. And then into a fountain. So I've just been like throwing it in every body of water I can find. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like it's like two fountains. I guess that beverage cooler thing, like my cup. Obviously, I did the cup before these all these disgusting other things. Yeah, um, and it works. Like it's great if you're like, I guess, prone to falling into bodies of water. <laughs> no, I mean I know people who've like <laughs> dropped their phones in the toilet, and yeah, it's perfect for that. Yeah, you know, it's not waterproof. Like you can use it in the shower, I guess. Like let's not start this <laughs> thing where we have to use everything in the shower. Um, I noticed that you can't really do calls after it gets wet. Like the microphones have to dry out, the speaker has to dry out. Yeah, that doesn't quite work for a while. And um, the touchscreen is kind of useless when it's wet. Yeah, I just you know after a while, if you give the if you give that digitizer a while to do its like its subtraction. Yeah. Basically, they're running an algorithm that's always subtracting everything slowly. Yeah. Um. So it it'll get subtracted out slowly if you if you leave this the pattern the same. Uh. Like I wipe it off and it works fine, but yeah, that's a that is a thing. I don't know. Like I like S4 Active. It's a shame that it's only on AT and T in the states, uh, but you know I understand that everybody wants their exclusive. 
like I, I had a couple buddies that, that were like, oh, I would totally buy that one. And then I said, like, it's AT&T only. And they were like, oh, darn. Yeah. You know, no, like, and, and this is probably one of the first variants of a flagship Samsung phone that I actually feel was like a really cool idea. And there needs to be more of this. Yeah. Yes. Ruggedized. Like, props on the innovation front. Cause this is typically when you, when there's a, a ruggedized anything, it's like, you know, something for like industrial or military use, but there's totally a right. segment of the market that wants this, like just consumers who want this. Mm-hmm. Without, I mean, the, that's like the number one thing I get is it's like, oh, I would buy a smartphone, but like you drop it once and like there goes your six hundred bucks. Yes. So I mean, this isn't going to be much different if you drop it, you know, in reality. But there's that, you know, the part where like if you, your friend pushes you into the pool, you're not gonna. I've never been pushed into a pool, but that's for some reason that's like everybody's thing. Is that <laughs> if you're pushing? That used to be a concern of mine when I had a PDA. I was like, my friends are just going to push me into the pool. <laughs> You know, it was like I was always like staying away from large bodies of water, you know. But I mean, now if you have that, you don't have to have that anxiety. Like since we're talking about anxieties, you know, like there's battery anxiety, like signal anxiety, social anxiety. And now there's like I'm going to get pushed into a body of water anxiety. So (laughs) you don't you don't have to worry about that, at least with this. And as long as you you just chuck it into these like, you know, like I want to be like on the phone, like you know, pretending like I'm really angry and then just like throw it full force into a fountain, you know? <laughs> and I think that alone is worth the the upgrade for anyone who doesn't have a phone where you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it It's nice. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. And uh, it's LCD too. And the LCD seems great. I haven't measured it yet, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, do you like the LCD side side by side? Do you do you like it better than the the AMOLED version? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I've said openly, yeah, I'll take an LCD over AMOLED any day of the week. Okay. You know, I, like honestly, that's just the end of the end of the discussion. Like the caveats of that come with, you know, AMOLED, I just don't want ever. Yeah. And um, it's it's the same thing as like these SOCs. You know, like it runs for me at max brightness, and then it, it like overheats on its own and clamps it. Yeah, and if I go outside at all, you know, it, it does the overheat protection. So, to say nothing of the other issues, so, you know, like with saturation and, you know, that whole thing. So I yeah I don't know I like it. There was something else I wanted. Oh, you can take pictures underwater with it. You know, like they have a camera mode that works supposedly works cool underwater. This would have been awesome when I was on the cruise. Yes. Because like I couldn't bring my phone because, you know if you're going to get sand or like salt water in it, like it's just going to die. So, and a Ziploc bag only goes so far. So this, this is like perfect for, you know, like beach time or, you know, whatever. Unfortunately, there's no beaches in Arizona. So I'm going to just stick to fountains, I guess. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's awesome for that. That's cool. No, it's like I said, I, I was impressed. Um, I was impressed that they did this, and I think it's. I I would definitely encourage Samsung to do more of this type of thing. Um, I don't know if it's reactionary to to Sony either, because you know, like Sony has their line of uh, stuff that that's like pretty much all their flagships are water resistant. But I, yeah, I like this. They need to do more of it. Like somebody was asking, is there to be an uh, a rugged version of the Note? You know, I think that would be cool. I don't I don't know, but you know, interesting idea. Yeah, no, no I agree. Um, okay, so that that's one set of travels you did. You also visited Qualcomm, and they showed you uh, their 
next generation phone and tablet platform, Snapdragon 800. Right. That was pretty cool. I mean, so we, we've done this before, you know, like we did it with APU8064. Uh, they have their blogger benchmarking workshop, uh, which interestingly enough, like used to be just us. <laughs> but yes. I mean, that's obviously, obviously they like what they got out of it. Um, and other partners should do this too, where they just invite everybody and you get to run what you want. And it really is, they just give you devices and like, here you go. There's no standing over you or like, you can only run this. Or, yeah, because there was some misconception. I, I saw some people like talking about how Qualcomm controlled what you ran and stuff like that. And yeah. That's not true at all. No, it's not. And I, I don't know why there's that. You know, I know there's that perception. It's because I didn't specifically address it. But uh, like they're the most hands off of anybody. Like I know a couple other a couple other sessions. It's been like, you know, you need to run this or, you yes. know, something. Uh, or you just get a list, you know, like we've seen that before where it's like, trust us, we ran these benchmarks, like, why would you do it? Yes. You know, which is obviously like, I have to validate their claims. Yeah. So, um, and in my experience, I am right there with you. They are the, uh, least aggressive of, you know, most, if not all of the players we work with in the SOC space. Yeah, by far. I mean, like literally they just, I, I connected my, the, the MDPs to my laptop and pushed over all the APKs I wanted. I didn't use the stuff they had, you know, to just eliminate that as a potential problem. Uninstalled it all, pushed all my stuff on that I know is sane, ran that, you know, like poked around. Like I just basically did my normal hacking around on these things, you know, pull all this, like, look at, look at it, you know, that's essentially what you're there for. So, um, yeah, then they don't have any problem with that. And the numbers are the numbers. And What's interesting this time is that obviously they had the phone and the tablet to sort of like combat the, oh, well, it's it's in a tablet as opposed to it's not in a, a phone, you know, like, so they had the phone reference design and the tablet. And I ran stuff on both, actually, and they got the same number. So, I mean, I think 80 and it's it's final silicon, too, like 80, 8974 has been, you know, sampling to people for a while now. It's going to be in devices in the fall. So, like, they're basically in production right now. And, um, you know, all the platform software, the BSP is all done. So, you know, there's, there's nothing like preemptive or, you know, like non-final or all the usual like caveats that normally come with this type of thing aren't there. So, um, and from talking to the OEMs, it sounds like everyone is really excited about Snapdragon 800. I mean, the performance data alone looks very good. Um, I've seen a lot of people ask, well, hey, what about battery life? That's always difficult to do on an MVP, uh, on like a development platform. But what we've seen in the past is, you know, they're targeting the same thermal envelopes that Snapdragon 600 had to fit into, that, you know, APQ8064 had to fit into. You are going to see, again, we're marching down this path of increased dynamic range of yes you get all this additional performance if you use it at full tilt all the time you're going to have worse battery life on the same process node like you're going to have a bad time yeah like there's no there's unfortunately no way of getting around that because everyone in mobile is stuck on this uh they're in the gigahertz race like that's exactly what's happening here um and it's unfortunate i wish everyone would kind of uh uh pick much lower nominal frequency and voltage pairs and, and well, they have got, yeah, they have to have their marketable thing that like we win this or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's beyond frustrating because like it's it's you know Cortex A15 is the perfect example. If you talk to ARM, you know what frequency should you run A15 at uh, at 28 nanometer at TSMC for a phone for a mobile platform, and they'll tell you 1.2 gigahertz. What is it in applications? <laughs> right, it's all 1.6 or above. Yeah, 
Um, it's it's insane. Like there was a slide that I'll be publishing over the next couple of weeks here, uh, where Arm says the range of frequencies at 16 nanometer at TSMC for Cortex A57, right? So for the 64-bit improved version of Cortex A15. They think the low end of that spectrum at 16 nanometers, so two jumps from now, um, should be roughly 1.7 gigahertz for mobile, which is exactly where we are today for <laughs> yeah. A15 at 28 nanometer. Just to show you like how completely out of like whack the implementation from the, the original design points are in the mobile space right now. Um, but yeah, yeah. so and, and what Qualcomm told you was, you know, they, they expect that they used, to hit the higher performance, they effectively used process to get there. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at the chart now, and, you know, one thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, Crate 300, we got better IPC, uh, you got better performance, but, like, if you look at the lowest end of the, you know, the power and DMIPS thing, like, power went up, you know, it's just the reality. Yes. Um, at the at the lowest end, I think that's where really I care the most, at least for like platform battery life. Uh, you know, it's like what is it like when it's idle? Just because so much of the like ninety eight percent of the time the phone is idle. So what's interesting is that the you know like this eighty nine seventy four kind of returns back to you know like the eighty nine sixty level performance, um, you know, per watt, and that's that at the lowest end there. Like that point on the curve is the same. So for me, that's that's all, like it's going to be better than this this last crop, which you know almost was starting to get a little bit out of out of control on the thermal side, but not quite. You know, it's better than everybody else at least. But yeah, you're right. It's just entirely the HPM you know thing. It's like it's Crate 400 is just Crate 300 on HPM. Yeah. With with like a couple marginal improvements, like they said, faster L2. Um, but I mean, that's all there is to it, and that's gonna stick around with us for a while, and. Obviously, yeah, like you can push performance out further, you know, like it's going to be clocked higher and the power will be higher when you get there. But intrinsically, it's, excuse me, it's not like it's a lot different, you know, at the low end where hopefully like people are sane and put these things. Um, Which never happens. Like that's the frustrating (laughs) part of all of this in that, you know, that's actually one of the biggest issues with this whole ARM ecosystem, right? In that... ARM can't dictate to its partners and customers, hey, you should actually run at this this point in the curve because this is, if you're building a phone, this is the right place to be. And unfortunately, what we get is this, uh, this gigahertz race. And it's not even called that, but that's exactly what's happening here. Um, sure. And, sure. you know, it, it's just lately I've been on this kick of looking at operating voltages at, at um, you know, full tilt. And because you're you're always like sending me the results of the the tables and in, in you know the Android source for all these devices, but right. it, for whatever reason didn't sink in until recently that at 1.7 gigahertz, you know Crate 300 to to hit 1.7 Crate 300 is that like what 1.275 volts? It's pretty it's pretty far up there. Which, Are you talking about you, uh, Crate 200 or Crate 300? I didn't hear. Uh, 300. So on on the HTC One, right? Isn't 1.275 around? Uh, I have to look at the PVS table again, but it's it's up there, yeah. And uh, and the A15 on Snapdragon uh, on um, uh, the certain the, the GTI 9500, the Ox, uh, Exynos 5 o- uh, Quad Octa or Exynos 5 Octa. Um, yeah. 50. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> 5410 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. On that one, it's like almost 1.3 volts, and that's just crazy to me. Yeah. At, 
28 nanometer, when you look at just and to put it in perspective. And that's Samsung's high K, too. That's like Samsung's. <laughs> it's insane. You know? Like, you, to put it in perspective, Haswell will run at like, you know, 3.8 gigahertz at like 1.05 volts. Right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's ridiculous. I totally agree with you. Like, when you said. When when you said that part, I was like, holy, you know, like holy crap! I can't believe, you know. And it's just, it's kind of, yeah, it's getting out of hand. And and um, and you know, the the reason voltage is an issue, right? So like, you know, there's a linear relationship between uh, like capacitance and and power, but it's an exponential relationship between voltage and power. So that like little increase in voltage actually has a dramatic increase in power consumption, which is why this is a horrible race to be involved in. It was horrible when we did it in desktop. But it really didn't matter as much as it does now. Like, this is just completely just bonkers. Like, this is the wrong thing to be doing in mobile. And I don't know how to reverse it. And I'm afraid that because it's now established, it's just what everyone wants to do. Right? Yeah. Arm was even talking about this. They were like, um, I was talking to some of their Molly guys. And they were talking about how the resolution race is now like oh, beyond yes. insane right because they're talking well, about hey you know it hasn't gotten like maybe they know about things that are coming but well yeah no I they're talking about double, 4k but that's, that's fine they're talking about 4k tablets coming in the very near future um that's kind of cool i mean like so my my thoughts on that and i've had a lot of i've been thinking about it a lot is that i would be fine with double um double the human eye limit just you know for wave your hands and say nyquist uh, but you, like anything beyond that is just stupid. And then, you know, everybody's kind of like redefining what's perfect vision, like 2010 or something. Really, yeah. it's like 2015, which is like the 0.75 arc minute number I've always used. And I was always taught one arc minute. Arc minute is fine. Like that's that's a number that got drilled into my brain at one foot. So like that's you know number that we've we've talked about before. It's around like 350, 330 uh, PPI. But I mean, like, if you double it, then like, you know, that's for a square wave. So there are certain patterns that you will see things like, and again, the human eye, resol- human eye is a little bit harder to characterize. So it's like, you know, you have resolution for detection, you have resolution for like identification, resolution for like, is it a vernier? You know, like, can I, humans are good at seeing like if things are aligned, you know, yes. like two lines. So obviously if I have UI things where like I have lines going everywhere, there are these single pixel rules. Um, yeah, I would appreciate having, you know, like just double to wave my hands at it. But, um, I, yeah, I I agree with you. Anything beyond that is just totally stupid, but (laughs) yeah. So I I don't know. I don't know how we got on this topic of what everyone's doing in terms of frequency and voltage scaling, but it's like, it's excessive in mobile. Um, Oh, it's because the Snapdragon 800. Yeah. 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 Well, and their table, like everybody needs to go, just go look at the table and, and hopefully calm down a little bit about that one because like. It's better at the low end than, um, you know, the Crate 300 implementations, according to them. Like, ostensibly, you can't really lie in a slide deck that passed legal, um, at least, you know, like, you you know, without being overt about it. And, you know, that's that's interesting to me because, like, I, that's really what I want. And certain players will just not give you the curve if you if you beg for it, even if you beg for it. Yeah. So, um, well, so I don't, what's interesting I don't think about that lying. curve is it also really depends on how they make the curve. So the issue with DMIPS is you don't stress L2 and beyond, right? So memory controller is not memory interface is not stressed at all. Um, you're oh, of course, I'm, it's a horrible benchmark, right? Yeah. I just um, want to see like what's the dynamic range of power. Yes, but but I mean like you're saying, is, it's not even stressing L2. 
Correct, right? So like that, that curve could look dramatically different depending on implementation, right? If you do a stupid L2 cache design or if whatever your memory interface is really dumb. Um, so basically if you had this graph with Exynos 5410 and it wasn't <laughs> themips, it would just look absurd. Like it would just like all of a sudden just go crazy. It depends, like on, it depends on exactly <laughs> how much main memory traffic is going on there. Which is, which is constant. Like they're yeah. shuffling everything back out to DRAM and then back. Yes. Every time it changes, which is like all the time. <laughs> no, it's, it, yeah, no, it's, it, every time. That's what I loved about, you know, like the slides that you sent. Some of them had that, like the hysteresis curve, which I expected. Like I expected somebody has sat down, you know, with a calculator, like actual engineering took place. And then we, we, we calculated like how long should my hysteresis be for switching back and forth, you know, the cluster between A7 and A15 so that I don't expend more power in doing so than I would have saved anyways, right? And, yes. And just don't do it if, like, if I'm going to, you know, like, I'm like, do I really have to even spell it out? Like, if I'm going to extend, if, if the perform, I can't, like, it's so stupid, I can't even <laughs> articulate it. Like, I'm just stuck. No, but okay, it, so people like, you who know what I'm following, saying. What, what we're talking about is, you know, ARM's got this big little thing, right? And, and uh, they're, and it's interesting. So I'm now fully convinced that, that ARM is committed to big little. Like this is. Which is uh, crazy. I thought it was the mitigation for A15 and like fitting it into a phone. No, I'm, I'm, I'm now convinced. Um, yeah, I'm now convinced that they are committed to it. And it, it, so it gets interesting. I'll talk about that in a second. But basically the first implementation, the first shipping implementation of big little and the concept behind big little is you have uh some little low power CPU cores, and you've got some you know big high performance CPU cores all on the same SOC, you know all with their own like private L1 and L2 caches, and you shuffle tasks between them depending on whether you need low power or whether you need high performance. Um, it's a neat idea, and it, it is one way of combating this whole dynamic range problem of performance requirements, right? right? So because different designs are intrinsically different, like. Correct. You know. Like the 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 t even down to like the transistor mix, and this is how it should be done, right? right? Like the the transistor mix you need to do because there are all these knobs that you can tune. You can tune VT. You can tune the type of transistors, channel length, like all this stuff, uh, which will either give you like high clock speeds and like great performance, but will leak like crazy and give you terrible power. Right. Of right? course. So it's it's a different trade off for the two islands, and and there's this idea that well, yeah, you can have the best of both worlds, right? And because these cores are so tiny, right? These aren't like big old well, at least A7s. Cores. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like they're not, uh, they're not that big, so you can just throw more on there, right? So if you you talk to ARM, it makes a lot of sense. They say, hey, you put like a couple of like little cores in there and a couple of big cores, and and you know you run them all sensibly, and you've got, uh, you know, unfortunately, since these are independent designs. What you have is whenever there's a switch between the two, you have to take all the state that's in, you know, your little cores or your big cores or whatever, take all the state, push it over to the new core um, right. and make sure that like, because otherwise you, your phone just like crashes in the middle of a switch, right? You can't have that happen. <laughs> the kernel panics. Yeah. yeah like that, that, that can't happen. So, so the, the two islands need to stay in sync, right? So you need a coherent bus or a coherent interconnect between the two that makes sure that if you know, variable X equals 13 on the, the little island, that it won't equal 11 on the big island, right? That, that stuff has to stay in sync. Um, so anyways, that's, that's ARM's approach to it. Now, Samsung, flagship partner here, they go and implement it 
in like a really weird way, right? They take four so little let, well, cores. Let's, let's be specific though. There are three different implementations of this. There's cluster migration, there's core migration, and then there's the dynamic scheduler kernel aware thing. Well, so those are the three different software implementations, right? So well, like, no, no, those are the three big little implementations. I mean, yeah, but you're, it's obviously if you have if you have all the the cores lit up with the the correct um, scheduler, then you don't need this cache thing, right? Like they're just there. They're operating on their own. They just exist. You know, like you have eight of them that you see. Like there are yes. eight CPUs. Well, no, you still do need cache coherency, right? Because in the event that so what what sure, but you don't have this big like infrastructure. It's it's more traditional, is what I'm um, saying. Um, it's more traditional. No, you still need a coherent interconnect between the two, right? Because they're they're physically, um, they don't. So you get you get inherent coherency between one to four cores on A7 and A15. When you go beyond four cores, you have to do another module, and you need something to provide external coherency between the two modules. Right, right, that's true. But it's it's basically not going to get used, is what I'm saying. Yeah, like in, it would the, only in the get cluster used migration the... and core migration, you're literally just taking, you're faking it like it's a, it's the same CPU essentially. Like correct. It, it's so what Brian's a, describing is thing he, to make it look abstracted. Correct. What he's describing is in in. You know, you have these three software approaches to it, right? Um, the first two software approaches to it, if you have like the Samsung solution where you have effectively eight cores, Exynos 5 Octa, those eight cores actually only appear to the OS as four cores. And depending on load, you either get a little core or a big core, right? Right, exactly. The easiest to implement one is where you migrate between little and big on a per cluster basis. So you either get four little cores or four big cores. Right? That's the easiest to implement from a software perspective, and that's what Samsung has implemented on the Galaxy S4 that has Exynos 5 Octa. At the other end of the spectrum, you have the one that the OS and scheduler developers hate the most because it's the most insanely complicated, where all eight cores are visible, and the scheduler uh, schedules threads on cores depending on their performance needs. Um, exactly. So it's the most interesting from a performance and power efficiency standpoint, but all OS vendors, like I think even like Linus Torvalds, like he hates this idea because it's just, like, there's just like a oh, lot of horrible. complexity yeah. associated with it. But anyways, ARM is very committed to this. Um, and in between and, is the one where you just, you can have like three A7s and one A15 or like two, two and so, two and one and three. In between is where you have core migration instead of cluster migration. Exactly, right. So here you can have, like, you can, they still, the OS still only sees four cores, but, you know, two of them can be flipped over to A15s and two of them can be on A7s or whatever, right? Like, and it's a, um, it's still a more manageable, you know, less complicated thing from a scheduling perspective, but that that's just not what's shipping with Samsung. So anyways, the, the whole, how we got to this is, uh, ARM in, likes this. Yeah, ARM likes this, and Samsung's current implementation of it is fundamentally broken in that uh, that coherent interconnect that I was referring to, the thing that keeps the you know the last level caches, the L2 caches, and the A7 and the A15 islands in sync, that for whatever reason is broken in... It's, it's turned off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... Something has been screwed up at the physical design implementation of that coherent interface on Exynos 5 Octa, so it has to be turned off, which means that any time you switch clusters, all of that state, you know, what that process or what the A7s are working on, all of that architectural state has to be pushed out to DRAM, which is extremely expensive. Like that is an expensive move from a power standpoint. 
the minute, like the further away you get from, you know, just pushing data is very, very costly from a power standpoint. So all of that happens via DRAM versus happening via this kind of coherent interconnect going cache to cache. Um, and yeah, that's, CCI 400 is just broken. So like not, it's, it's, I think people were confused because they expected, they expected the core migration strategy or the scheduler strategy, you know, the intelligent scheduling where you see all eight cores to be implemented. That that isn't it isn't news that Samsung implemented just cluster migration on fifty four ten. That should be news to nobody. If it is news, then you just weren't paying attention because we even talked about this. Like we were explicitly told several times that it would be cluster migration. Yes. But the part where like not only is it cluster migration, but it's also like just broken and oops. Like it's just documented in the code. If you turn it on, you're gonna get a kernel panic. Yes. Like somebody somebody saw this on XDA and. You know, I, I was poking through the kernel source too, and I was like, "What is this? I don't even." <laughs> so, that I mean, that's the news. Like, at least as far as like it's shocking to me, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, someone came out with this um, a few weeks ago, where they just they they levied the accusation that coherency was broken on Exynos five Octa, um, but they didn't have the proof to back it up. And then I guess the XDA guys, um, whoever posted that, uh, they went into the source and found it. Yeah, I mean, it's been in there for a while. Um, so that's just unfortunate, but, um, so the last event that, that we have to talk about here that you were at was at Apple's WWDC. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, you were there too. That was pretty cool. Um, Um, iOS seven and Mavericks. mm -hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. What, what were your thoughts? This was your first WWDC. What, what did you, I don't know. It's what I expected, I guess. You know, we got to see Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, he was like a couple of rows in front of us. I wonder if Al Gore listens to the podcast. That would be awesome. Yeah, he was like right there. I was like, you holy, like you could reach out and touch him almost. But um, so that was that was kind of cool. I mean, obviously we got to see iOS seven, um, which you know is is a new design, and there's a lot to be said about. And um, I don't know. Like my my thoughts initially were negative, but now they're somewhat more positive because. This is an iterative process, and I've learned about a couple mitigations for the things that I was concerned about from a readability standpoint. Um, I think those were the big things. Like honestly, I, it's good to see a visual refresh. You know, it, there are some cool concepts. The multitasking thing is a big deal, uh, just because that's a huge friction point for me, and I think many others with messaging. You know, and and things like these, you know, like chat applications that operate sort of out of band. Um, that require an internet connection, you know, and the app to always be running. So I, I think that's a huge step forwards from functionality. Like I think everybody's focusing on the visual redesign, um, as opposed to like the engine. You know, like I had, the, I was on a podcast yesterday with uh, Rene Ritchie. I, I think I pronounced his name right from Imore, um, who I've been on like twice with, and uh, he had the analogy of like everybody's paying attention to the color of the car versus like the engine. Yes. And I think that's very much the case just because like, it's easy to superficially analyze, you know, like it looks this weird or like, you know, the game center icon doesn't fit within the grid for the icons that they, you know, like design. So you know, like, this is the, like the sky is falling. Yeah. But you know, I think it's going to get better and it's almost a little bit shocking to me that they've, they've sort of said like, it's going to be an iterative process. You know, like I can't ever imagine that of happening before. Yeah. That like we're just like give us your feedback about the design. You know, it's like 
I, I just can't. But so I mean, that's kind of cool, I guess. But it's different. I, yeah, I think it's better than it than it um, initially struck me as being. Yeah, is and, all and I can I, really I'm, say. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on the. Um, everyone was so focused on it visually, but my only interest is usability and like under the hood how things have changed. Um, and I guess because, it's lighter weight under the hood than than they really gave it credit for. Yeah, and and that's really those are the things that are most interesting to me going forward. Um, that that's why it's good to hear your take on on the multitasking side of things because like one of the I, I feel like iOS at its introduction was did a really good job at the feature level it was at for the first kind of year or so. Um, and then there was this explosion of, you know, we had third-party apps, we had an increase in, you know, the amount of functionality and features in the OS itself. And there was no equivalent kind of expansion or rethinking of how to manage all of this. Um, so yeah, that's... because originally there were widgets. Like, I keep going back to, like, you know, you look at the weather app and, like, everybody kind of comments about how that design is so dated and, you know, like, iOS you know, six or whatever, and just below. Originally, like, that's a clone of the dashboard widget. Yes. You know, so, like, the there weren't apps, per se. Like, there were widgets. Like, why do you guys want apps? Like, make make web apps, remember, was the original line? Yep. So, um, you know, this is, like, a reimagining in the context of, like, this is now a platform that needs to be more, you know, more about getting stuff done and, like, being functional than... You know, like here's some widgets and like it places calls and it's like our idea of a phone. Yeah. No, so th- that part is very interesting to me and in, in how long, um, how long that upgrade cycle, like how long this this foundation is expected to last, um, because I I feel like uh, this platform is either and we've said this before it's it's either going to evolve into something that is even more compute and productivity focused or it's going to merge with OS 10. And right. I'm, I'm, I want to see, I, I just have no concept of where that curve goes and when that intersection happens, if it ever does. Right. Like it's a, uh, I so hope if, Apple keeps them separate or if they do it in some way that is very surprising because every, every other strategy to combine them has failed. Like, and again, my, like my other law is that if you, um, you can have two input strategies and two input paradigms, but no more. And the third one will always be a disaster or some way crippled. Like, again, I think we talked about this before. The Xbox, you know, like, if you look at the Netflix UI, like, it's connect. It's uh, connect, like, gestural voice and the controller. And it's, like, you know, the controller one suffered as a result. Like, it does all these things that basically come as an expectation of you waving your arms at it. Yes. And I and the analog is, if you try to make this tablet thing, you know, also your desktop thing, you get a Windows RT. No, know? so and like I, we know how that story ended. So, <laughs> so that brings me up to a point that I was going to bring up a little later. I, I don't want to spend a, a ton of time talking about this. Um, I, I've been very Haswell focused here for the past I don't know month or so. Um, and one thing I'm doing now on the 2013 MacBook Air is I'm actually characterizing its battery life in terms of like running our tablet workload. Um, and the data that I'm getting, at least initially, looks like Haswell ULT as implemented in the MacBook Air using the same workload, same brightness. Obviously, these are different chassis and stuff like that, but also ISO battery capacity. So, so equivalent battery capacity. If you normalize to the same battery capacity as the fourth gen iPad, it looks like the Haswell i5 13-inch MacBook Air actually has lower platform power 
than the iPad 4, which brings up a very interesting potential use case, right? That if Apple were to take this thing, you know, put it down in like, let's say a 10 inch form factor in that something that's like dockable or has an integrated keyboard and a cover kind of Surface Pro-like, that could be that intersection, that the beginning of that merger. And it doesn't even have to be a physical merging of the OSs, right? So you could have, um, you could have, I mean, they already have Launchpad in, in OS 10, right? That could be your default launcher interface. You could even guarantee iOS application compatibility, either through emulation, because one, it's, it's Haswell, so it has the performance to do it, or you just make x86 a target, right? Just like they do under OS 10. Um, and, and then you can even bridge the gap between running iOS apps and running OS 10 apps on this platform. But, but I think this is the first time, you know, it used to be uh, we, had this, uh, we had this idle test for our Windows laptops, right? Where you just left it at a desktop and see how long it, it took to die. And in the old days, like some of those notebooks would die after like four or five hours. Right. Haswell ULT is the first time where you can actually, if you are in a, like seriously just using a light usage model, like a tablet-like usage model, you can get tablet-like battery life. Um, and and mm. that opens it up. Like I don't think even Apple has adequately done all you can do with this platform now. Um, and and part of that could be bandwidth. They could be waiting for a future generation, right? Like I've been hinting that you know Surface Pro is Microsoft's first attempt. They tried before. Sure. Um, they they went into this market, the convergence market, before uh, the hardware and the software were ready. Apple tends to wait until the pieces are ready. Um, the hardware is kind of there now. Um, and it only gets better with Broadwell, and then you get to Skylake, and, and that blurs the lines even more. But uh, I, I feel like I see this intersection now. Like, I see where it could happen. If you look at what has happened to 10-inch tablet, right, the 10-inch tablet market, for Apple, a lot of those sales go to the iPad mini, right? In the Google ecosystem, a lot of those sales go to the Nexus 7. So that kind of leaves this Well, I don't think that, yeah, the 10-inch tablet shouldn't have ever existed. Like, I think that was a huge failing you know, like yeah. the, the correct size is now seven inches. Just correct. Like, and end of story. So you have, you know, the traditional like uh, pure iOS experience at seven inches, but at 10 to 11 inches. And I think Microsoft is on to something at 10.6 being a, a good combination of things. Um, you know, maybe that's the intersection point. So you avoid the whole, yeah, OS 10 running on a phone thing. Right. And the whole usage paradigm not working. Right. Um, but you have this you know, very iPad-like experience. But if you need to do some more work, you can. The performance is there. But if you need to just use this like an iPad, you get the same battery life and and performance efficiency. Um, So, like I said, I don't want to talk too much about this, but that's something that I've been paying a lot of attention to now, and and I'll be publishing something um, kind of along these lines in in the coming week or so. Of course, all of this, like, you have to keep in mind, they're going to keep iterating their own SoC, Yes. Of course, right? So, you know, like, I think that's the thing, too, with Intel especially, is that, like, we have more visibility into their roadmap. So everything looks good. But then it's like, oh, oops. You know, like, we, we didn't know about, like, the other dudes. You know, like, especially I'm looking at, like, more Medfield stuff. You know, like the, you know, and Penwell and Merrifield and all that stuff. Yes. Like, the phone side. Like, it looks great in context. But then you're like, oops, you know, like, forgot about... Like everybody else got better, you know, it's like... No, and I think with Apple, like there's a... Um, so it could work the other way, right? Apple could decide to build a big Swift 
and exactly. start to move OS 10 off of x86. Um, That's what and, everybody's kind of like more rumoring, even though like obviously Intel is probably at, like you're saying at the point where they're more credible of a threat. Yeah, to do so that. you know the more I um, the more I, I dig into ARM and what they're good at, and the more I look at what Intel's capabilities are here, I feel like the the point of contention is really only at at least today and for the foreseeable future. It's really only at the very high end of the ultra mobile SOC space, right? Because if right. you look at if you look at let's say Cortex A5, A7, A53 class. Intel doesn't have a solution there. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? And I don't think that, that they are going to have a solution there in the near term. Um, I also and don't They probably don't want to because it's it's even lower margin than something that already of them is like, it's not a moneymaker. Correct. It's an also ran, you know, it's like it looks good, but, you know, it's not a Xeon. It's not this, like, $1,000 part that we just make, you know, ridiculous margins on. Yes, correct. And I think that's a... Um, so, so if you split the market up into this kind of ultra high end that's creeping up into, you know, PC level of compute, I think that's where you see contention, um, and that's potentially where it is very difficult for uh, anyone on the ARM side to kind of really push forward for a couple of reasons, right? One being the foundry side of the equation, right? Like I, I think the let's wait and see what Bay Trail and what Merrifield look like. But uh, I would be surprised if we're talking about the same ranges of voltages, for example. Um, I feel like the Maybe right... lower voltage <laughs> instead of the, the yeah. whatever is fun well, is going like, that's on their at TSMC. Whole, <laughs> that's their whole thing, right? That with 22 nanometer on their SOC process, you get a 100 millivolt advantage over right. non-FinFET FinFET based designs. And... Hoping, I'm hoping that what they do is they exploit that and they build power efficient, you know, kind of high end parts, right? Where you might even see a situation where E15 and A57 are actually still faster, but Intel is now optimized for the right right point in that that kind of curve. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so for their sake. So I think you know? I think at the high end of the space that makes a lot of sense. Everything else, which is a huge portion of the smartphone market. Um, I think ARM doesn't face any immediate threat here. Because um, that's like, where I'll, the real volume is. Like, let's be clear. We like to look at the flagships, or at least I do. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the cool, like, fast stuff that's high end. But the volume is in these emerging markets with phones that you've never heard of. You know, running yeah. these SoCs that are like dual A5s or quad A5s or dual A7s and quad A7s. So I know Intel, like they, they like to talk about having low-cost solutions there as well, but that, that's the, the tougher pill for me to swallow. At the high end, it makes a lot of sense, because if you just look at the financials, um, and I just wrote about this, ARM in 2012 made something like $930 million in the entirety of the year. Um, Qualcomm makes a good amount per, uh, per quarter, like they're somewhere in the, I don't know what, like eight point something billion range. Um, but you have to remember, a lot of that is is also their licensing. Um, so I, I look at justifying right. the production. I'm not talking so much about Qualcomm because they they're sort of an also ran in that like very low, you know, huge volume emerging market thing. Like I think their market share actually went down. It's 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 people like MediaTek and like Rockchip and yes, you know those guys that are just gobbling up that volume that no one 
no like nobody in the u.s i don't think has an appreciation for the scale and the size of that market and that's where android is winning like it's it's kind of like we we have all this visibility into these flagships yes right um so ultimately and, that's and it, that's... i feel like even intel's strategy is colored by that just because they're an american company right yes well yeah. i think they you know if you talk to them they recognize that China MediaTek, like all of this is something that has to be addressed, but I, I just don't see a near-term solution there, right? I think from their perspective, it's really capping how far the ARM partners can push up, which makes right. sense, right? You yeah. want to protect your, you want to protect what you, you know, make your money on. And I think they have the chance to be successful there. Um, right. But I think you, you know, if That's you look a really at the, good point. If yeah, you look at the cap. market as a whole, it's just very different. And, and I think ARM... Uh, the more I learn about, like, A53 looks like a really, really good, very efficient architecture. Um, there's this anecdote that, uh, you know, one of the ARM guys presented a paper on A53, and then he was sitting next to some Intel engineers, and they were like, we don't even know how you made something that small and that power efficient. Because um, it's just it's it's just a different point in the curve. And, and you know, the, the other thing that I look at is, Intel believes that it can service its its entire market with two microarchitectures. That's right? what I was going to say too. Like it's 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 essentially they're I'm sure they're designing it more to be a server part. Like they, they say it's a mobile focus now, but it, you're you're spot on. That's right. Like, like so, Intel services <laughs> they 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 service their market and the markets they care about with two microarchitectures. ARM services that market presently with three, and I think they'll go to four. Right. So if you look at what it is today, there is A7 on the low end. Um, and that'll transition to A53 as we go to 64-bit. You have A12 in the middle and A15 slash A57 at the high end. So in, inevitably... And you have like, A5 too, I guess. Yeah, so A5 falls into the A7. It's actually, interesting enough, it's the same design team that did A5, A7, and A53. Um, huh. Which is a totally... like the, There's a whole bunch of stuff about ARM that's just so unique that we've never really seen before. But yeah. you have these three, you know, they believe they cover the market with three microarchitectures. I believe they'll add a fourth to go even higher. And then you ask the question, well, why does ARM need four where Intel needs two? And I think the only answer there is they're servicing markets that Intel doesn't plan on servicing. Um, and and sure. that's where I believe that, you know, what really happens in this whole ARM versus Intel thing is Intel caps or is trying to cap ARM's progression upwards. But not necessarily doing anything to, you know, kind of... Sure. Encroach really, on theirs, yeah. Yeah. And and I think... Now, long-term things change, right? And and we'll see what happens there. But uh, I, I think that's a that's a, a bit of clarity that I've only come to realize in, in very recent time here. Interesting. I, li- I like that idea. Yeah. That's a, it, that makes... And I, I've been thinking about that, too. Yeah. Is it like... I'm sure they're... Again, they're going to go after... Intel's going to go after exactly what's their biggest priority yes and that's still you know like we're going to build a micro architecture that's great in a server but i always like can't shake that feeling that like the desktop isn't also just like a nice you know a nice also happened yes and then mobile is even more of a you know like oh well it also works there like there's fudge factor and where these things can go i look at um you know it's effectively if you look at intel servicing their entire markets with with two architectures, it shows that those architectures have a greater dynamic range. Exactly, right. Um, Right. And part of that is that each one of those architectures is actually only designed for pretty much a single process node. Whereas if you look at the ARM architectures, they service, their dynamic range has to effectively span multiple generations of process technology. Um, 
which makes it academically so very interesting to look at, right? Because, like, uh, you look at ARM 11, for example, that debuted at 130 nanometer or 180, something like that, and it's taping out at 28 today. So that's how many generations? Whereas you look at Haswell, and Haswell's just expected to be at 22. And right. it'll shrink to, um, you know, it'll shrink to 14 with Broadwell, but that's it. Like, there's not going to be a 10 nanometer or 7 nanometer Haswell. It's, it's really picked for a single point. Right. Um, and it, it just changes the dynamic completely. And if you look at, so ARM has ISA, I mean, not technically today, but if you look at A53, A12, and A57, so they're, they're you know, small, medium, and large cores, they have full ISA compatibility across all of them, whereas even Silvermont today isn't fully ISA compatible right. with Haswell. Right. Um, and it's just, it's two very different things in the world, and we've never really had this before. Um, and, and I really don't think the solution here or the long term what happens is, you know, one wins over the other. I think you have, ARM is going to compete. I mean, ARM, the majority of its shipments don't even happen in mobile, right? They're in like all of these other right. industries that we don't cover. Um, well, it's I mean, in they, everything else. It literally is just everything else. Yeah, it's it's literally it's it's everything else, and they ship eight point seven billion. Their licensees ship eight point seven billion chips uh, per year. Like in twenty twelve, they shipped eight point seven billion, and mobile was something like two point six billion. Um, so it's it's not even we are we are arguing over you know ARM's ability to push into higher margin territory, but not arguing over whether or not they'll be around. And I think that's right. uh, that's color that has been lost in this whole ARM versus Intel debate. We're talking about a sliver. You're talking of, about the smartphone or tablet correct. play. Um, and I feel like I understand that a lot better now. I think Haswell has a good chance, uh, or that lineage has a good chance in this 10-inch, 10, 10 to 11-inch kind of converged device. Um, and Silvermont, I think, you know, if they can get it out, right? Like Bay Trail, we've seen up and running. Um, all indications are like that'll actually ship in tablets this year. Um, that I think will will be an interesting competitor simply because of process technology advantage. Um, I think when right. you actually get into the higher frequency ranges, hey, this will be where it'll be interesting to see how good Qualcomm is at, at low power design versus how good Intel is. But the fact of the matter is, Intel has to be really, really incompetent to waste the FinFET advantage. Right? You don't just get a hundred millivolts at idle <clears throat> from just nothing right like that's a right. <laughs> that's a difficult thing to bridge um so that becomes interesting and then super interesting in merrifield right because exactly same sort of advantage should exist there and now tsmc is talking about doing finfet at the end of next year which i don't know that's kind of scary to me yeah, because more over, the last time they got that aggressive we got 40 nanometer and nothing worked so it's <laughs> um I, I don't know. I think the near term is, is, is all very interesting, but I think there's this whole huge segment of ultra mobile that it's not even on the roadmap of how Intel addresses this. Um, I totally agree. So that wraps up that. Um, the last thing that we can talk about here, um, which I don't know how much detail we want to go to because this is like an entire, we could spend hours talking about this, is X-Bone. Yeah, X-Bone yes. and PS4. Um, Are we going to get an email if we say X-Bone, like Xbox I mean, One? You know, if you're going to call it that... I'm going to get a stern emailing. <laughs> I mean, okay, so here's the frustrating part, right? We did this this architectural analysis of it, and it's always frustrating when you know that the right business decision isn't always the right decision, right, from, like, a consumer standpoint. And my thesis on this was <laughs> That's that... That's a great way of saying what I would have said. <laughs> 
very right, so politically like, correct. Yeah. My, well, my th- I, and I think that's what Microsoft has done. I think they looked at whatever they shipped, 77 million or something Xbox 360s, um, and everyone is saying that the sky is falling on game consoles, right? That, uh, you know, tablets are going to eat into it, that, you know, all of these other markets are going to eat into people just wanting to buy a high-end game console and spend time on it and spend money on it. And I think Microsoft, you know, certain camps within Microsoft probably even said, hey, we shouldn't even do another console. I mean, I even heard that within the game developer industry that, you know, there were people that I respect saying, hey, I don't I don't actually see a future in in high end game consoles anymore. So I look at that and then I see the Xbox one. Sorry, I had to get water. My voice is still jet lagged. Um, (laughs) So I see the Xbox one and I see it as. A mitigation a well we know we're not gonna sell just if we do the same exact formula as we did last time but up all the specs we don't think we'll actually sell more than we did last time and you talk about introducing at a higher price and that actually plays into favor of what I'm thinking here as well so so from Microsoft's perspective they have to make this more than just a high-end gaming console which is why they launched with this whole TV integration stuff which is why they mandate connect so they can you know, in, any case, in, in many cases, this is kind of the Samsung playbook, right? You, you launch with features that will market very well to the masses. And you look at Kinect and you talk about voice control and gesture control. This is delivering that Star Trek holodeck-like experience to people who maybe don't understand it. And now they're beginning to think about Xbox One, whereas maybe they don't want just an upgraded high-end console. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the unfortunate side of this is you get... I still don't want the TV or connect. <laughs> no, and I don't either, right? Like I don't I don't want those things, but I, I understand the business case for them. Sure. And as a result, unfortunately, you and I get penalized because we have a smaller overall SOC, right? They physically spent fewer transistors there. And there's only so much you can do with clock speed. Right. See, so I, f- you- I feel like this is again the like if you try to do everything, you're gonna fail at what you should have done best. Yeah, no, but what, what happens if about. what you should have done best is a shrinking market, right? That's right, then the... you shouldn't do it at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, no, no. so I, I actually, you know, I laugh about it, but that's actually not a bad idea, right? So I, I believe, like, with Xbox One, Microsoft did the, th- they did the hard thing. They virtualized the Xbox OS. I sternly believe that they should just virtualize or, or sell me that OS, give me a license to that, let me run it on Surface or whatever PC that has the right sticker on it, um, yeah, certification program. Yep, you sell it as a license. You've already virtualized the OS. It already runs on an x86 platform and a GPU that you know whose derivative architecture we can buy. Um, you'll be able to buy a very similar SOC. You know when AMD launches Kaveri at the end of the year. So you've done all of that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually okay with your argument there. You shouldn't do it at all. That's totally fine. Just sell me a license. You sell me a Windows license. Sell me an Xbox OS license. I don't even care what you charge for it. Charge like fifty bucks or a hundred bucks for it. Like I, I would, I right. would pay that fee in order to get the Xbox experience virtualized on my PC. Um, and I think, you know, you do all the rest the same. You support the development of the games. Like uh, you can even push even heavier towards like this whole idea of download only content. Um, I think that would be the more dramatic set the world on fire kind of move. But instead, we have this very, it's compromised on a lot of levels. Like, I think there must be camps within Microsoft that see that as the future and really want to do it. But they're focused on bridging gaps between here and there. Um, Right. So that's frustrating to me. And the other thing that's frustrating to me is Microsoft has effectively built and sold me boxes that run Halo for the past 10 years. Exactly. And 
that's what I want. Like I want a box. It's the Xbox 360 is a box that predominantly plays Halo for me. It runs other things, <laughs> but the the thing that it does is it's a box that occasionally dies but plays Halo. And you don't use the Netflix occasionally. No, because like I am lazy and I use it like built into my TV, even though the experience is terrible because it's like an older Samsung TV and like everything's really slow. There's like like I can boot my notebook faster than starting Netflix is on that TV. Really I, smart TV, but it's like a single core. Dude, like I don't know what it is. It's probably in there. You know, probably like an ARM 11 or something. But it's yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, the Xbox is nice for Netflix, right? But the power, cons- the additional power consumption to run it. Just in my head, it doesn't make sense. Right. No, right? I, 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 yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, so I, so I have this issue where I really like Xbox Live. I like the controller and I like Halo and they can just keep selling me Halo every couple of years. And that's what my friends play and we'll play together. And some of these friends are people I don't like get to interact with otherwise. So it's like a social thing. And so they do all this, but then they're like, they're selling me inferior hardware and yeah. on like the memory bandwidth side and on the um, on the compute side, and they can mask some of that with their embedded SRAM, but uh, I, I don't know. I want to talk to their architects a bit more to understand how it works. Um, but they, I mean, they've built a system that is more efficient to scale down to cheaper and, and smaller manufacturing processes. And you know, they they made the right business decisions, but it's not necessarily what I want, right? And it sucks because it has all of the other things I want. And then you look at the PlayStation 4, and it's like they, they, you know, they built what I wish Microsoft had built from a hardware perspective, from pure gaming hardware perspective, right? They, they spent the transistor budget. Um, they did GDDR5. Uh, I mean, they, they did a lot of things that, yeah, I, I agree with from a pure hardware platform perspective. But I don't want that controller, and I haven't really, other than Uncharted, I haven't really, and I never got into God of War, I never really cared about their exclusives as much. Um, you don't play Metal Gear Solid or like um, you mean Gran Turismo cut cutscene Solid or like <laughs> you're gonna get some emails, dude. I like I'm sorry. It's I tried to. You, you know, know what's like, really fun is The Last of Us. Like that's so. If that had launched with the PS4, oh my god! You know, I, can you I imagine want, how many they'd sell? I want to play that. Like I haven't been home and I, I beat it. I played. I sat down. I was like, I'm just playing through this. Is it? It's worth like 16 it? Like, hours. Yeah, it's worth it. Is it worth delaying content for? Like, yeah, I would just like everything. All priorities are rescinded. Like, just go play it. Uh, so the other thing, like the other thing that I'm nervous about is um, physically updating my PS3. Like, I don't. The last time oh. I turned it on was to update it, and that was a it's long time now. ago. They, they fixed it. Like, you know, that's that's the thing about Sony that I worry about is like even just now in the last, you know, last week they had that that update that was like bricking consoles. And it's like at the same time they have this this title that everybody's talking about that's that's awesome. It's like a, a great summer title. Um, I don't know if it's the Citizen Kane of video games, which I just keep reading, but you know it's it's up there in terms of memorable experiences. And then they push out this update that's like bricking consoles, right? When everybody's <laughs> gonna pull their thing out to update it. So like I feel like that's Sony's problem in a nutshell. Like they they ha- they they occasionally like. You know, just get in their own way. They're like they're their own worst enemy. Yeah. You know, and to say nothing of the fact that you know the internet has a short attention span, like everybody kind of changed their mind on Xbox One, you know, with very quickly. But at the same time, like let's not forget that you know PS3 had its own set of issues with you know like 
PSN being down and all the hacking stuff and like that was just months and everybody back then said you know like oh I'm never doing this again you know yes so you know whereas like on one side like all the gamers that I know and like um, have kind of talked to sort of have stated you know like if PSN doesn't isn't like massively worse than Xbox Live we'll just go to you know PlayStation 4 like that's we're fine with that but at the same time it's like the attention span is really short like who knows you know yeah. I'm going to end up with both yes it's fun to it's fun to make it a zero sum game where it's like you get one or the other but you know really it's it's kind of like both are going to be out there and now it's going to be even easier to get things portable across them yes so what i think is going to end up happening at least for me is i will once again have an xbox that plays halo um (laughs) but the difference this time whereas the ps3 in my life was just a blu-ray player I can see myself buying all other games on the PS4. Oh, right. right? Same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so that... As like long the one as that I'm like... excited about is the PS4. Yes. Um, so it's... And, and both are, unfortunately, I, I'm... I'm I, you know I the PS4 someone... still doesn't have 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Uh, I, it's kind of frustrating <laughs> that neither has 802.11 AC. Yeah, can um, we talk about that for a second? Like, I have phones that have AC... Yes. But a $600 box that ostensibly I'm going to use to stream everything yep. and like do this TV thing and play online with, you know, which is like, you know, packet loss matters. Yes. I have crappy 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Yes. Or well, like in the least... case of the Xbox One, I have single stream, you know, what I had before. Like yeah, 2. no, 4 I have like a, a crappy phone 802.11n implementation in effectively like a mainstream gaming PC, which is ridiculous. Um, and is. I know they'll add it eventually, like either via dongle or via, you know, a new box. But uh, you can't, on the one hand, tell me that, hey, you just have to buy this one console and it doesn't change, but then get me to upgrade it every year. Like, I don't, I don't oh, want right. that. Right. Um, and, like, what's with the Xbox 360E? Did you see that? I want you to take that apart. Yeah, did anyone... And so no one measured the dye and stuff, right? No, no. Um, I fixed it, like, got it to the... You know, like, they didn't take the heat spreader off, basically. Yeah. I even, no, I, w- I even was like, why would you even bother? Like, No, to their you know, credit, um, when I got the Slim, I didn't do that either. But that's because I had had five Xboxes die on me, like from Red Ring. <laughs> you that wanted I to didn't... actually use one? Yeah, like I didn't... <laughs> I was like, this is absurd. I've literally had five that have all died out of warranty um, and sequentially. Like not, not in parallel. They just like, they die sequentially. Um, <laughs> and it's, Well, hopefully I've... that doesn't happen this time. It we shouldn't. swear, guys, it's fixed. <laughs> it really shouldn't. Like the the problems that that led to that one, at least the problems we think that led to that one, should be all understood now. Um, Famous and, last words. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, I mean, it does worry me. Like when they were, I mean, I, I read some of the initial coverage of it where people toured Microsoft's validation labs, like their silicon validation labs, and. I, I don't know. I wasn't impressed because I've seen really big validation labs like where this like, looked really, a little small. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, is this it? Like, this is these are big SOCs, um, and Microsoft doing the validation isn't necessarily a positive to me, right? I want, right. I want AMD should do the validation. Yeah, because, it's their thing. Yeah, like that's uh, so I, I I don't know. I, you know what's curious to me is that you were mentioning they built their own optical drive controller, and I think. There is this big infrastructure basically built up to like put a unique ID on the disc. 
Yes. So that they had this. So that the previous thing that they just did a 180 on, get it Xbox 180. I, like everybody keeps dropping that one. Like that whole thing, you know, with the you know, you get you get the title and it it basically goes into your account in like a Steam like fashion. Yes. I feel like they built that controller basically because they're writing some proprietary data probably on the inner circle, you know, and there's a unique ID. So I guess now even. Like all that validation work, at least for that part of it, is completely turned off. Yes, you know. Right. So, I, I, I mean, I, beyond like ostensibly, they have some like valid disc thing, you know. But like the the other part of it, where it's like, oh, this disc has been used before. Logic, yeah, is turned off now. So no, there's like there's likely a non negligible amount of like millions of transistors that are just like that work is just done. Like there's no <laughs> some poor team has just like lost their useful work. Exactly. Um, you know, and they took they took to the they took the paste bin. Do you see that? Some dude yeah, took I did the see paste that. bin and was like, you know, like um these are features we worked on. They didn't sell it well. I don't know if that was the problem though with everybody keeps talking about like, oh, Microsoft screwed up the messaging, you know, like because it, they essentially did, but I don't think that's the problem. Like they basically blew E3. Like E3 was completely like they not only lost sentiment as a result of e3 but then they reneged on everything they said there yeah so it was like what was the point like you just spent all this money and you know then did a 180 but i I feel like the problems were external to that like that's just something else to talk about you know like the fundamental problems for me are again that it's it's the worst silicon for more money it's um mandatory connect right and uh gosh there was something else i had like three things that i was like these are these are the issues that i still have with it yeah and fundamentally like those are unchanged like i didn't really mind the steam gaming thing i you know i I go back and forth on the internet thing i think it's probably okay they had some stat that were like 98 percent of the xboxes were connected to the internet anyways yes right but they they, i mean they already fixed that right like that's a non-issue now exactly but i'm saying the issues that they fixed weren't really the issues that I necessarily cared about. Correct. Like, well, I understood so, that it would be, like, like Steam. And I kind of like the idea that, you know, I could... Basically, the disc became, like, a faster installation media. Yes. You know, which is great for me. But you know, at the same time, like, everybody kind of had their gnashing of teeth and, like, doesn't want to move on from, you know, we need these discs and it works like a disc and, you know, like, I can bring it to my friend's house, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, and sell it at game, you know, the, lo- the local GameStop, not, you know... Your GameStop equivalent that's local, not a chain yeah. that is GameStop. So, like, I, I didn't really care about those issues. Like, the other issues are bigger to me. Now, admittedly, on the SOC side, a lot of this really boils down to... I, oh, so I the, the five gigs. Like, they use three gigs for the OS. Like, that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. And it tells you... I mean, I think it goes back to what I said initially. It's a, it is a... What Microsoft has done is likely the better business idea, Right. Because Sony is effectively guaranteed that no one's going to use their eye peripheral, right? Because it's, if, if it's, sure. a, if it's a console care, that doesn't... I, I don't care either, but if you I don't develop- understand why anybody cares. Like, they, like, if you want that stuff, go to the Wii or, you know... No, but if you're going places. after, if you're trying to preserve or go after a larger market, you have to... You can't just service it with the same type of thing, right? So I, I get the... Now, whether or not they're successful in this is a completely different question. Right, because you can argue that the people who will respond best to you know the Connect integration and that being a non-negotiable are also not going to pay five hundred dollars for a console, right? So it's yeah, um, 
So it's kind of a, like I said, I, I don't, from a business standpoint, I understand it, um, but that does not equate to ultimate success, right? Um, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think the the other thing is that, like, obviously the Xbox is more of a U.S. device than it's, like, rest of world is, is kind of dominated by PlayStation, you know? Or at least yeah. it seems that way. Like, the market has traditionally gone that way. And I feel like in these other external markets, they want Connect even less. Or, yes. like... In a couple different markets, they legally, like, Connect is just illegal, like, having it on all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, so I can understand, you know, it gives developers something else they can rely on. But it, it really only works if you're developing an exclusive. Because if you're developing cross-platform content, you're not going to spend all this time optimizing for Connect. And then it, this all boils down to developer relations um, and, and exclusive titles. And I don't know. Historically, it seems like Microsoft has done a better job at that stuff, right? Which is why I feel like they think they can do this. And and if you look at what ends up happening to the ecosystem as a whole, since it's both both effectively the same platform, both with varying de- degrees of um, complexity uh, or or performance capabilities, everyone's going to develop to the Xbox One standard. And right. that performance advantage that Sony has inherently. Uh, it gets reduced a bit because no one's going to go out and exploit it completely other than right, the, right. the games that are native PS4. So that kind of sucks for the industry as a whole. Um, well, it's the lowest common denominator all over again. Yeah. Of the so, two. So, so that, that, that's kind of bothersome. I, again, there's nothing I can do. Like, this is, it's done. Um, and like you said, like, I'm going to end up with both. But I think what ends up happening is um, if I didn't care about Halo, I would probably end up with a PS3. Or a PS4, sorry. Right, right. Um, if I didn't care about Halo and I didn't have, um, like, a, like all of my friends are on Xbox Live. So um, if those two See, things were... I, I know that, too. Like, all the people I care about on Xbox Live. But then I talk to them and they're like, we're just all going to go PS4. You know? Yeah. So I, I have, a, like, it's actually very few of my friends are actually... Um, very like tech savvy they care like, a lot about my... this yeah yeah so when i talk to them and and i love actually having those relationships because um they give me reference points that i wouldn't otherwise have and i talked to like one of my good friends who i play halo with all the time um and like he was he was like a, an english major right like you can't get further from you know what i do uh i guess in a sense but you know i talked to him and he's like yeah i'm really excited about the connect features and uh, the things that pissed him off were actually the things that they reversed. So he was upset about the used game issue, um, which I don't believe is ultimately mitigated. I think but, that's overblown, yeah. Yeah, but no, but he, so he was upset about that, but he was really into the whole Connect integration. Um, and yeah, he sold. Like, he, Sony couldn't do hmm. anything to get him to buy a PS4 other than come competitive on pricing, right? So that's what they have done. And. I'm curious how the implementation with Connect works. Like, my, my friend was saying, like, if I want to troll somebody, just steal their Connect sensor, and then your Xbox like won't turn on, or like, what's going to happen? Like, I can't play games. Like, it's yeah, mandatory. So that's the interesting thing that that kind of bothered me in their introduction, where they're like, you know, it's one box that does everything, but by the way, there's a second box. Yeah, mine's <laughs> gonna be like I sit, you know, and I sit my console standing up, you know, yep. on my desk. Uh, by the way, like you can't stand it up anymore. It's like not optimized for standing. Oh, I know. It's like, like the famous not optimized for lean thing. Yeah, you remember that line? 
Like they were like Call of Duty, it's like not not balanced for lean. Well, it's like the Xbox literally isn't balanced for standing. Yes. So, like I set mine on my desk and then I play it on a computer monitor. Like, where's Connect gonna fit here? Like, I'm just good. It's gonna be facing the wall. Yeah. No. Or like I'm just gonna stick it on the ground. Like, you know, put duct tape on it. You know. <laughs> like I don't I don't think they thought about any of this or like it's just like everybody uses it and like if you don't use it this way like the highway is. Right there, you know. Well, I feel again, like I think they're, just this play to get to everybody's like everybody has something they want out of this. Yeah, I think they're aiming at a broader market. Um, and admittedly, like I haven't done the market research. I don't know, and their market research could be wrong as well. But I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know yeah, what I that know market what's right. is. Right. Um, and I, you know, on top of that, I look at, um, I look at where the current console market is right and everyone keeps saying you know mobile is is basically going to destroy this but what i think actually happens is mobile expands the overall gaming market and eventually maybe next cycle we get a consolidation of all of this um, right but i don't know we will we'll see what happens you mean yeah like everything becomes this i like the idea of yeah it becomes this one box that is sort of modular yes you know as opposed to like you know i have this xbox thing you know that that they still only envision you using like sitting in this living room that's gigantic first of all yeah so that you can use connect even though it has a wired wider field of view it's like it's never going to work in a dorm room no matter no. how much you try no i mean you know? like you need a like you need a legitimate at least with the current connect you need like a legitimate open area like stuff has to be moved um i still but, don't have a living room that's big enough like i've been in three houses with connect yeah and i'm like each time like maybe it's big enough to use it but no, and and they made the field of view bigger, but it's it's still like well you ultimately just need area to move around. Yes, you know, and like the optimal distance that I want to like have a coffee table and my couch with like a fifty-five inch TV is is X right, and it's like did anybody do the math here? Like there's no place to move around. Well, that being said, like a lot of the people who use it, they use it like they deal with it and. I don't know. I like. I think I'm just. I'm not a Connect user, and as a result, like this doesn't speak to me. But I, I think they're targeting beyond me, um, which, right. which I understand why there's so much like internet rage as a result because it's it's gamers, <laughs> it's people like us. But yeah, it's I, the I, people who are actually using the thing. They didn't just buy it once because like, ooh, it looked cool in the ad. Yes. You know, like the people who bought the Wii. I, I feel like they don't really use the Wii anymore. Like, they bought all the stuff. They bought all the accessories. Like. They used Wii Fit a couple times. They did the, you know, bowling, Wii, Wii Sports. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'm never using it again. Like, there are people who live on Xbox Live, oddly enough. Yep. You know, eating Hot Pockets or whatever. <laughs> drinking Mountain Dew, you know. And um, it's like they're they're the addressable market you want to worry about long term. So I would you know? agree and with that. And I'm thinking about, like, I'm going to have to live with this thing for the next decade plus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, so... Uh... I don't think it'll get to a decade. I think, you know, you look at a decade from now and the world's going to look very different. Um, sure. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Anyways, that, that we did it. We hit the end of our list. Um, so I want to thank you all for listening. Um, we're all back in town and, and we want to do this more regularly again. So, uh, uh, and like I said, we want to do some more Haswell focused stuff. There's a, there's a bunch of other stuff that we can get to here. Um, but this that's going to be like a four hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, 
there's a lot to be said about Haswell. Um, so anyways, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being patient with us. Um, check out the site. We've had a ton of content go up in the past couple of weeks here. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll hear from us again real soon.